Happy Monday to you. This is Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent with the General of All Things Southern with you for the next three hours. I am John Rawl. Man, I hope y'all had a great weekend across the Southland. I had a little catfish and a little fun and more. So yeah, I would say my weekend was about perfect. Even some football mixed in with some golf too. At least I viewed, not participated in. If you want to participate in something, I'll tell you what, you can participate right here on the Y'all Show. Text us. Our text lines are open 24-7-803-816-1170 is how you can get involved with the All Southern Program. I like to say we're 1,000% Southern here on Y'all. And if you think of yourself as a Southern gal or Southern guy, well, you've got a home right here, and we want to hear what you have to say about what's going on in the South or what's going on in your world, as George Strait would say. 803-816-1170 is how you can get involved with y'all, a show covering news, sports, lots of sports talk to get to today. In fact, I'll go ahead and give you a heads up on some of the sports coverage we've got. A defection of epic proportion in women's college basketball, as the Baylor head basketball coach, Coach Milky, decides to head on over to LSU. We've got more about that in a few minutes in our sports update. Wow, this is a lady who just won a national championship in 2019 and had won another one there in Waco prior to that. And now she's heading to the SEC from the Big 12. We'll have more on that coming up as LSU steps up its game in women's college basketball speaking of women's sports how about the kentucky wildcats volleyball team picking up that program's first national championship and i've got to check it out i think it is the first national championship in women's volleyball in the history of the southeastern conference heck it might be the first women's volleyball championship for any program east of the mississippi river probably not uh, likely for that but could be that's a sport dominated by those on the other side of the Rocky Mountains, usually. But way to go, Big Blue, with the win and the Women's Volleyball National Championship. Kentucky Wildcats in a big crowd at Memorial as they got back to Lexington over the weekend. So we got some sports coming up here on the Y'all Show. A look at some college baseball scores. Way to go, Arkansas Razorbacks. Way to go, Vanderbilt Commodores from this past weekend in college baseball. We'll have all that coming up, plus a whole lot more sports stuff to get to here on y'all that's coming up later this hour and before this first hour is up today we're going to take a look at southern history as we spotlight history here on the southern show and we also spotlight our current southerners who are making history and i know this lady wasn't born in the south in fact she was born south of austria if you want to know the truth but she was our most recent former first lady Happy birthday, Melania Trump. We've got a little more info to tell you about her. The new resident of Florida, a carpetbagger coming south from the White House. Melania Trump, happy birthday to you today. Also, speaking of birthdays, both the state of Maryland and the state of Louisiana celebrate birthdays this this week as both were admitted as states in the Union this week of April in their respective years. So we'll tell you a little bit more about how both Maryland and Louisiana got to be states. And for Louisiana, religion had a kind of a big say-so in whether they ended up being accepted or not. That's coming up later this hour in Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. More headlines coming up in hour two. And then our storyteller from Takapola is going to be on with us, Jerry Short, 
Oh, it's so much fun talking with Jerry Short, and he's going to be on to tell us what's going on in Takapola land. In fact, I think we're going to talk a little food, if you don't mind. That'll be something fun to get your week going there with Jerry Short. Food talk with the Takapola storyteller coming up in hour number two of today's Y'all Show. And then before the second hour is up today, we'll have an accent on speaking of food. We'll have an accent on Southern food, courtesy of Kobe Bennett and y'all.com and don't leave out hour three of today's y'all show art cruise will be driving by art always has something artful to say about the southern states and we'll have his take on it and we're also going to hear some audio speaking of sports in hour number three we've got some post spring game audio coming up from the new coach of the tennessee vols josh heupel what he had to say about his first time out there at neyland stadium with his team performing in the spring game of 2021 and then we'll move it over to the sec west we've got some audio coming from lane kiffin of the mississippi land sharks as the red and blue had the grove bowl in oxford this past weekend we'll hear both heupel and a former tennessee and current mississippi coach lane kiffin in our number three and then we'll also take a quick look around the show for the rest of the week here on y'all talk with a southern accent all right let's get into what's going in across the southeast and i know that probably if you tuned in the news at all this past week uh, or the last couple of days you saw that awful story coming out of gwinnett county in georgia where six people were killed at the intersection of i-85 north and the 985 split this happened saturday night 16 people were inside a passenger van that flipped on its side and caught fire at 6.30 p.m. on Saturday night. And Gwinnett County Police said that the passengers were part of a sober living group and the crash shut down the interstate for hours. All lanes reopened around 10.45 on Saturday evening, but investigators are currently working to try to find out what caused the crash. Police said, based on statements at the scene, another car may have been involved in this accident. As of Sunday evening, authorities had not yet identified the victims. All of the passengers in the van appear to be adults, and more details will be released in the coming days in this developing story. If you happen to be on Interstate 85 north of Atlanta and you saw this accident on Saturday, Gwinnett County Police are asking you to call an accident investigation tip line at 678-442-5653. Again, the number is 678 442 5653 is how you can give a tip on maybe what you saw there. A busy road, of course, that stretches from Atlanta to Chattanooga, I-85 northbound. And that's right there at the 985 split. That's the road that ends up going toward Canton, Georgia. And uh, uh, just an awful scene there to see so many people killed. 16 people inside this passenger van, and, and we saw that six people killed in what the folks say were part of a sober living group. And our thoughts there with that awful, awful scene coming out of the Atlanta suburbs over the weekend. To eastern North Carolina, 77 deputies there in that state on leave after the fatal shooting of a black man in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. Anthony Brown Jr. was shot in the back and killed as he was trying to drive away last week. And now seven deputies in that North Carolina county have been placed on leave in the aftermath of this man being shot and killed by members of the department serving drug-related search and arrest warrants. Passaquatic Tank County Sheriff Major Aaron Walio confirmed the number of deputies on leave due to the shooting in an email on Friday. The sheriff previously said that multiple deputies fired shots and were placed on leave after Brown was killed 
Wednesday morning, and that is a, a scene there developing that's going to likely have more protest and just more of a spotlight put on black people being killed by law enforcement. We saw that Chauvin was sentenced last week on three counts and will likely go to jail for a long time. And just in the aftermath of that, you see now other shootings of people around the country, many of which are, it looks like, black in the case of this situation in eastern North Carolina. We'll stay on top of this developing story coming to you from that part of the southeast. Man, what were you doing seven years ago? Yeah, seven years ago, or rather, no, it's not been seven. It's been 10 years. It's been, that makes me feel even older. 10 years ago today, across many southern states, we had an absolutely awful, deadly outbreak of tornadoes as tornadoes pummeled the eastern half of the country over four days in the spring of 2011, killing more than 320 people in six states. 250 people died in Alabama on April 27th of 2011. Ten years ago, Tuesday, but some of these people started dying on this day ten years ago. Like I said, it seems like it was seven years ago, but golly, now that I think about it, it sure was about ten years ago. Hackleburg, Alabama, 18 people died when an EF5 twister hit that town. You also had Phil Campbell, Alabama, where 27 people were killed in that town. I know in what uh, Smithville, Mississippi, there were a bunch of people killed in that town, roughly 10 in that county there, Monroe County, Mississippi. And then, of course, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, had a bunch of people killed there when the tornado went right beside the Alabama campus. Ten years ago, again, this awful outbreak of tornadoes in the southeast, I would say probably the worst I've seen that's affected a lot of places in, in in the way that it did. 320 people over six states killed 10 years ago today and this week. Hard to believe it, yes. And the pain and the loss a decade later is still felt in every one of these cases and every one of these people who lost their lives. And I can't tell you who these people are because – I don't know of any of these people that were killed 10 years ago personally. I do know that I was pretty close to a person in Tuscaloosa, and their house was right in the path of this tornado. I didn't know that because this person I'd kind of not been in touch with for a few years. But about three years after the 2011 tornado outbreak hit Tuscaloosa, I happened to be back in Tuscaloosa, and I started driving in that area of where the tornado came through, and I could already see, man, this is not going to be pretty. It looked like it was a field out there, and it was. It was perfectly uh, no trees, just dirt over the stretch of about a half a mile. But guess what? Three years prior to that, before the tornado, it was houses and trees, and it was just a slice of Americana. And that's what these tornadoes can do. They can totally destroy everything in their path. And then when you come in there to clean up, you'll see an entire neighborhood just leveled and and bulldozed and and new grass planted and new dirt and a new beginning and that's what we saw there with that house and it was such a great house that this person lived in that i knew pretty well and to see that entire neighborhood which again prior to the tornado was perfect it was just a perfect setting 
and and it just to, to be gone. And I know this; we have tornado outbreaks all over the southeast every almost every week, if not every day. But for that many people in these massive EF type tornadoes to come through is just just terrible. Speaking of bad weather, if you live in the state of Texas right now this week, you've got a tax free weekend taking place in the Lone Star State. And generators, weather radios are among the supplies that you can buy during this tax-free weekend. It's the 2021 Emergency Preparation Supply Sales Tax Holidays, and it lasts until today. It started Saturday, so if you haven't quite done your shopping in Texas, you have until midnight tonight. According to the Texas Comptroller's website, the customers can get the tax savings even if the item is... uh, beyond the tax exemption period, according to the story I'm looking at. A list of emergency preparation supplies that qualify for the tax holiday, less than $75, things like first aid kits, batteries, hatchets, always a good thing to have, smoke detectors, and more. A little bit more pricey, more than $300, you got hurricane shutters and emergency ladders, but less than $3,000 and are available tax-free right now. Portable generators, things not included in this tax-free holiday in Texas, medical mask and face mask, toilet paper, that is not an emergency if you need toilet paper. Also, step ladders and tents are not qualified for this tax-free weekend, only for Texas and what they call there in the Lone Star State, the Emergency Preparation Supplies Sales Tax Holiday. I've not heard of such a thing anywhere else. But in Texas, they're all over it, and good on them for going out and trying to make positive, I guess, out of a negative of the time of year that we're in with bad weather. In fact, I don't have the complete forecast in front of me, so I'm not going to relay it, but I think if you're in Texas, you might want to take a look at your weather forecast coming up in a few days from a a quick glance over. It looked like it's going to be a little bit stormy throughout some of the Lone Star State coming up this week and perhaps stretching into other states as well. Be careful. Some political news from the weekend. Troy Carter won a special election in Louisiana for a U.S. House seat. Now, he will succeed Cedric Richmond, who stepped down to take a role in the Biden administration. So this is a heavily Democratic area of Louisiana, mostly black population in this congressional district. And Troy Carter won this race in Louisiana. Now, what's, I guess you would say, newsworthy about this election is that his election, he defeated Karen Carter-Peterson, who was his fellow Senate, Louisiana State Senate colleague, and he won this in a special runoff election on Saturday. Now, Peterson was identified as a more progressive candidate, and I think he had the backing of Stacey Abrams, and maybe AOC even weighed in on this congressional election in Louisiana. But the more, you could say, moderate came out on top here in Louisiana, this district that stretches from New Orleans up toward Baton Rouge. State Senator Troy Carter elected as the latest representative for this district. He won with 55% of the vote compared to 44% of Peterson's vote there for this Louisiana 2nd Congressional District over the weekend. Another political story to tell you about and look out for the protest and the boycotts coming to the heart of Dixie. Governor Kay Ivey of Alabama has signed a ban on transgender athletes and supporters say transgender girls have an unfair advantage in competition. Critics call the ban 
discriminatory. But Alabama becomes the latest state and the latest southern state to have this ban on transgender athletes participating in K-12 through sports. Ivy's office announced in an email that she had signed the bill that says a public K-12 through school may never allow a biological male to participate on a female team. Asked if the governor had a comment on the decision, her spokesperson said she could confirm the governor signed the bill but did not elaborate. I wonder if we just said that, that according to this bill that a male may never participate on a female team. Can a biological female participate on a male team? That may not be the case because Alabama may have already had female players on a football team, for example. That's a somewhat common thing we've seen across the country of especially kickers and perhaps even punters are biological females that come on to a men's team. And we've seen this, I know, on the collegiate level. We just saw it this past year with the Vanderbilt Commodores having a female kicker come over from the soccer team. Yes, so Alabama now opening it up for more protest and such coming from the left as they're looking to try to keep the passage or this thing from actually going into law across the heart of Dixie. And that's a quick look at some of the headlines from across the South. We are not done. We have more stories from across the South that we're going to get to after this timeout. And we've got some sports news here in this first hour of the Y'all Show that we're going to address as well. Don't forget, you can reach out to us with your thoughts or your questions. Anything Southern-related, we welcome that here. Just text us, 803-816-1170. More headlines from across Dixie coming up right after this. And we're continuing on with the Y'all Show on this Monday. Great to have you alone. And we've got our Takapola storyteller, Jerry Short, on patrol and on standby for hour number two. You don't want to miss out on the fun. And don't forget, before this hour is up, we've got a quick Southern history and birthday salute coming up in just a few. Rolling on with more headlines from across the southeast here as we get our work week uh, going want to let you know that in the state of Tennessee that a professor is rejecting a racist label that's been put out on flyers and distributed to colleagues. This comes to us from Cookville, Tennessee, and a professor at Tennessee Tech says that faculty members allegedly spread flyers on campus that said that the school's Turning Point USA members and the chapter's faculty advisor, Andrew Dondio, were not welcome. That according to Fox 17 in nashville so they're at tennessee tech getting a little heated amongst the faculty as the again professor rejecting that his colleagues label him a racist and flyers that were spread around campus and this person this professor told fox and friends over the weekend that i'm not sure why they would decide to attack the students and myself and create an environment that's hostile to communication that's threatening and intimidating adding that his colleagues colleagues who posted the Flyers were experts in English and knew exactly what they were doing. Now, one professor is a professor named Julia Gruber, who is putting out this information. She's an associate professor of German. And then the other professor allegedly that 
spread these flyers is Andrew Smith. Professor Smith is an English instructor, according to the report. To the report, Turning Point USA is a conservative grassroots organization with a mission to educate students about the importance of fiscal responsibility, free markets, and limited government. According to the flyers that were put out, it said, Professor Donadio and Turning Point USA, you are on our list. Your hate and hypocrisy are not welcome at Tennessee Tech. And it had a picture of the professor, and it had a big, bold statement that said, no unity with racist hate hate speech is not free speech. Again, distributed there across the campus of Tennessee Tech. Now, I was on that campus about two years ago, and I had to go meet with a professor there in Cookville. And uh, I went into the wrong office, evidently. And the professor, and it could have been one of these professors spreading around this hateful flyer, was not very welcoming to me. Maybe they knew that I was with the Y'all Show. I'm not exactly sure, but, yeah, that was not a good experience on campus. Now, when I got off campus and went to a place in Cookville, I met with the professor that I was supposed to, and that professor could not have been more helpful and could not have been more nice so go Golden Eagles there in Cookville. But they got a little civil war there brewing with their faculty members based on the stories that we're reading here today on the Y'all Show. How about this hypocrite, you might want to call him, Joe Biden. Oh, no, I called a politician a, a hypocrite. The president is planning to head to Georgia next week to mark his first 100 days in office and promote his infrastructure and jobs plan. And he's going to have a drive-in rally in Atlanta. Now, here's the reason he's a hypocrite. Right now, Democrats are trying to boycott the state of Georgia based on the laws that the state government of Georgia just recently signed, the voter election changes. The White House said the president and his wife, Jill, are going to Georgia this week on the 29th. It's when this is set to take place, a day after he delivers his first address to a joint session of Congress. So that's going to take place Thursday is when he's scheduled to go to Georgia following Wednesday's State of the Union. And in this State of the Union address, he's expected to tout the accomplishments of his first days in office, first 100 days, and lay out his agenda for the rest of the term. And then he's headed to Georgia. His second visit to Georgia comes as the controversial new voting law has put the state's election system in the spotlight. Biden, of course, called what happened in Georgia Jim Crow in the 21st century and a blatant attack on the Constitution. So why is he going there, of all states, to celebrate 100 days in office? Of course, he went there first a couple of weeks ago after the killings of the spa, eight people killed at spa shootings in the Atlanta area, and he went down there mainly because at the time it was all about Asian Americans being killed. And, and of course, there were most of the people killed in that killing in Atlanta was There were six, I believe, Asian women killed in that massage parlor-type deal, a killing from a few weeks ago. But there were more than just Asian women killed when that mass murder happened. But that was the the, uh, big story at the time, and he went down there. I think think the vice president went with him as well to Atlanta. They also visited the CDC when they were there previously. This time they're going in there to promote 100 days in office. Joe Biden heading to Atlanta here this week now that we've turned the calendar and started a whole new week. Another Democrat in the news, Joe Cunningham in South Carolina. This was a guy who took over the House seat that Mark Sanford had for a long time, 
This is the Charleston Hilton Head along the South Carolina Coast Congressional District. Congressional District 1 in South Carolina. Joe Cunningham surprised a lot of people in 2018 when he took this Senate, uh, the, this House seat, this congressional seat in South Carolina and turned it blue as he took over for Mark Sanford. And, and then he lost it in this latest election to Nancy Mace, and it's back in Republican hands. So what's Joe Cunningham going to do? He just announced that he's going to try to be the next governor of South Carolina. Now, when he was a congressman, you might remember Joe Cunningham because there was one time he cracked a beer open during a farewell speech on the Congress on the House of Representatives floor in South Carolina. But he is officially announcing today his 2022 campaign to be the governor of South Carolina, and he's hoping to unseat Republican Henry McMaster, who's trying to win re-election in South Carolina. McMaster took over originally when he def- when he was lieutenant governor when Nikki Haley became the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, and McMaster stepped in to fill out that position that he won election and in 2018, and it looks like McMaster's running again. So McMaster could end up being governor of South Carolina for like 10 years, even though they do have term limits. He would only had an election of two times if he's able to win re-election in 2022. But yes, the Democrat, who I think is a native of Kentucky originally, Joe Cunningham, trying to put up a, a bid to go against Henry McMaster. Some call him Foghorn Leghorn, the governor of South Carolina in 2022. This guy from the South Carolina low country. Might open a beer or two if he's elected governor of South Carolina there in Columbia, SC. Now to Horn Lake, Mississippi. This is in DeSoto County, just to the south of Memphis. And this North Mississippi city has rejected a Muslim man's plan to build the first mosque in the DeSoto County area. And he says he'll go to court to challenge the decision. Now the Horn Lake, Mississippi Planning Commission recommended that the site plan be denied and the Board of Aldermen voted five to one to uphold that recommendation. The man wants to build the Abraham House of God. Horn Lake is in DeSoto County and Elk said he has lived in the county 20 years saying that he raised all his children in DeSoto County, Mississippi. They all go to school there and they have a right to go to their mosque and pray and practice their faith like every Christian. The reason this is being denied, according to the reports I'm seeing, is because of some planning and the way the thing was presented to them. This mosque is intended to be a 10,000-square-foot mosque with a worship space that holds 156. It would have to have 44 parking spaces. But according to the people there with the committee, they're saying that the the numbers and the planning just don't add up. So this is probably common stuff. I don't know exactly the justification they're using. They say they denied the application because the aldermen say they denied the application because of concerns about insufficient water supply for fire sprinklers and the possibility of traffic and noise, saying there's a school right down the road and they're needing to revise their plan. But there are mosques in North Mississippi, just to my knowledge, not one there in a very high, heavily populated area, DeSoto County, home of South Haven, Olive Branch, Hernando, and in this case, Horn Lake, Mississippi, trying to come up with their first mosque. How about a good story here on a Monday? A seven-year-old 
has reeled in a fish as big as he is with a rod that he bought with his allowance. Where's Craig Faulkner when you need him in our fishing forecast? Congratulations to this Tennessean Autry Hogan, seven-year-old, reeled in an 83-pound catfish while fishing in Cumberland City, Tennessee, with his brother, father, and grandfather. And while this fish is not a record, it reportedly weighed within two pounds of the state's official record for a catfish at 85 pounds. 83-pound catfish there in the Clarksville area, hauled in by a seven-year-old angler and master fisherman. Oh, Bill Dance, you might want to check out this guy, and he might give you a run for the money. Autry Hogan, the seven-year-old from Middle Tennessee, with a huge 83-pound catfish haul over the weekend. That is the way you do it there, you Tennesseans. You catch those 83-pounders. And I will have to give a shameless plug. Hello to everybody in Paris and Henry County, Tennessee. I attended the world's biggest catfish fry this Saturday and had me a plate of catfish and some beans, white beans, and some onions. And all, I don't think the fish I ate was that 83-pounder caught there near Clarksville. But, boy, it was delicious, and I really had a great time. I took my young fellow up there with me, and we just had a ball having some good catfish in the southeast. Ain't nothing like it. We've got some sports headlines we're going to get to right after this break. This is the Y'all Show. Big news in women's college basketball. We'll give you an update from the Zurich Classic in New Orleans and a quick look at some college baseball scores from the past weekend. All that ahead on the Y'all Show. LSU fans, you are tuned in to the Y'all Show on a Monday. And how about those Bayou Bengals baseball team going to Oxford and getting the series win against the top 20 Mississippi Landshark team led by former LSU catcher Mike Bianco, by the way. A nice comeback for LSU, although they melted away in that final game and had an easy win let uh, slip out from underneath their tiger paw. We'll talk about college baseball in a few, and, of course, we'll talk about that LSU team. But how about the LSU women's basketball team? They're in the news. Can you believe this story out of both the Big 12 and the SEC? Hall of Fame coach, Hall of Fame coach, national championship coach, Kim Mulkey is leaving Baylor for LSU. Now, she is a native of Louisiana, but after 21 seasons along the Brazos and Wacos, Kim Mulkey is leaving Baylor to be the next head basketball coach of the LSU women's team. She grew up in Tickfall, Louisiana, and is going to be introduced today with a press conference, the new head basketball coach. Mulkey is 58 years young. She took over Baylor in 2000, and that was a program that had never reached the NCAA tournaments. And in the 21 years since then, Baylor 
has missed the tournament only once since then and won the national championship in 2005, 12, and 2019. Mulkey with three national championships for the Baylor Bears. Now, she played collegiately at Ruston's Louisiana Tech, and then she would later spend 15 years as an assistant and associate head coach at La Tech there. She was a gold medal member of the 1984 Olympic team and was inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame last year. But Mulkey leaving the Big 12 and the Baylor Bears to head to Baton Rouge, where she'll be taking over for Nikki Fargus, who I believe was Nikki Caldwell, a former Tennessee Vol who had been the LSU coach for a number of years. Nikki Fargus stepped down Saturday after 10 seasons at LSU. According to a statement, Fargus was leaving to pursue another opportunity. While LSU did not disclose where Fargus was headed next, she's been in negotiations to take over as team president of the WNBA's Las Vegas Aces. So a change of epic proportion in women's college basketball with Baylor coach Mulkey leaving to go be the head basketball coach of the LSU Tigers. Big time win for LSU women's basketball right there. A big win for the Kentucky Wildcats on the volleyball court as the Kentucky Wildcats won their first NCAA volleyball title and a four-set victory over the Texas Longhorns. This happened in Omaha, Nebraska over the weekend, and Kentucky had an amazing performance this season. I want to thank David Thomas, big blue fan extraordinaire, for giving me an update over the last couple of weeks, to be honest with you on Kentucky's volleyball program, and there are the Big Blue winning a national championship. Kentucky finished the season 24-1. and That's quite an impressive performance for Big Blue Nation. I've got to look up here in just a second who the heck beat them 24-1. and So you know they didn't lose any games in the postseason. So who in the heck beat Kentucky volleyball? If y'all can text me that here before – I have a chance to tell you, then you'll win a special prize, I'm sure, a prize that will uh, make all Kentucky fans here very happy. But, yeah, Kentucky with the big national championship for women's volleyball. And as I said earlier in the show, volleyball is not something I think most in the South would say is our forte. We're more of a football, of course, power uh, structure of football, and then we like our other women's sports even, but volleyball is not something – typically that we're often seen having a dominance in the southeast the loss that kentucky had was to the florida gators yes david thomas has just texted me here florida gators won against uk back on march 19th in uh gainesville they won that 3-2 but kentucky did come back and win the next day so still pretty impressive 24 and 1 for uk's women's volleyball team and I don't have this in front of me. I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is the first SEC, first SEC team to win a women's volleyball national championship. And, and thinking of volleyball, I'm not aware of any team in the entire South that has a men's volleyball team. I'm sure there's one out there, David Thomas, if you're listening, but I'm not sure of any team in the South that has a men's volleyball team, which, of course, is recognized as an NCAA sport, and they have a national championship there too. But Kentucky – a big, big win over Texas in the national championship, winning 3-1 in a volleyball match aired on ESPN2. Congratulations to Big Blue and their big win there. 
And with that win, I'm sorry, Kentucky, this might have been the first national championship by Kentucky Wildcats sports team since, gosh, Kentucky won in basketball eight, ten years ago, something like that. It's been quite a long stretch, to my knowledge. And again, I don't follow every single Kentucky team, but Craig Skinner and the job there at UK coaching this volleyball team to a natty, a job well done. Way to go, Big Blue Nation. Let's move over to NASCAR and maybe the most southern of racetracks. Talladega held its big race of the spring here over the weekend, and Brad Keselowski won at Talladega with an overtime pass. Joey Logano in a big wreck there at Talladega Speedway in East Alabama. And Keselowski's victory in overtime made him the ninth driver to win through 10 NASCAR Cup races this season and a big win for this race car driver. He and teammate Joey Logano triggered a last lap crash as Keselowski tried to pass Logano for the victory and got the win there with this big NASCAR race. A race that if you have not seen in person, go check it out. If you have not seen Talladega in person, check it out. I've actually raced my own car. I won't say race. I have driven my own Jeep Cherokee on the hallowed grounds of Talladega Speedway, on the actual raceway. And man, the incline there on the turn, I was way down that thing because I was so scared. It was almost almost a 90-degree angle there if you ever see that thing in person it's quite scary but a very big day in nascar as brad keselowski gets his familiar name back atop the winner's circle and wins at talladega or talladega depending on who you ask (laughs) if you ask the locals there in east alabama a lot of them say talladega how about this florida native winning on the grand prix of st petersburg now this is a race held in downtown st petersburg florida in the indycar racing circuit and colton herta who is pinellas uh, pinellas county native so a hometown kid almost comes in and wins at st petersburg on sunday and if you've ever been to st petersburg during the month or so that this indycar race goes on they they shut off streets and it's just not something we're used to seeing here in america until I saw it without with my own eye, I had no idea that here in America we had an IndyCar race in an actual American city. That's something you're used to seeing from over across the pond. But sure enough, we have a race in St. Petersburg every year outside of COVID, that is. And in this case, Colton Herta wins the IndyCar race in St. Petersburg. Now, if you thought that was cool but you missed out on it in St. Petersburg, you may not realize this. IndyCar is going to have a race in Nashville, August 6th through 8th. It's the Big Machine Music City Grand Prix. And it's taking place in parts of downtown Nashville. Yes, for three days in August, the streets of downtown will have not only racing, but music, food, and more. As this temporary street circuit takes racers by Nissan Stadium, where the Tennessee Titans play, It also goes over the Korean War Veterans Memorial Bridge in downtown Nashville, the first motorsports course of its kind in the world to cross a major body of water as this will go over the Tennessee River. 80 laps, a total of 173.6 miles in the Music City Grand Prix 
in Nashville, taking place August 6th through 8th. So if you didn't make it to St. Petersburg and you want to see an IndyCar race in a downtown setting, I think this is going to be the second one that I'm aware of, and I don't follow IndyCar that closely. But it looks like a lot of fun early August in Music City to see racing with an IndyCar race in a downtown setting. Yeehaw! How about the race that was had on the golf course this past weekend? Cameron Smith and his fellow Aussie, Mark Leishman, on Anzac Day, a national holiday in Australia and New Zealand. They get the victory at the Zurich Classic as they beat a pair of South African golfers and Louis Oosthuizen and Charles Schwartzel. They won in a playoff on the 18th hole, and this followed an amazing 16th hole in regulation of which Cameron Smith hit the ball and the drink there and the alligator-infested drink there of Avondale, Louisiana. And Leishman, who lives in the offseason in the Virginia Beach area, comes in and chips after the penalty drop, chips in and gets a birdie on that hole, and that puts puts his team ahead in this only competition on the PGA Tour that has uh, team play, where you have a buddy and you take on other pairs of golfers. And he and Leishman end up winning this deal. And Cameron Smith, this is the first tournament I ever remember seeing Cameron Smith play in about five years ago, back before he had the mullet. And Cameron Smith wins for the second time at New Orleans at the Zurich Classic with a victory with his fellow Aussie, Mark Leishman. Cameron Smith, by the way, makes his offseason home in Jacksonville. And he's got this really good South Georgia, North Florida-looking mullet that he's got, and he says that he's going to keep it, even though he told his girlfriend if he won this thing, he might shave it off. He's going to keep it, he says, in the post-match press conference. So a great win. Each one of these golfers, by the way, the the victors, Smith and Leishman, pick up a cool $1.1 million for their victory over the weekend. How about college baseball? Going through the look of the uh, top 25 or so schools, Arkansas went to Columbia this past weekend. They picked up a series win, winning two of three against the Gamecocks at Founders Park. Mississippi State was at Vanderbilt, and the Commodores won their series with victories of 6-2 and 7-4. They did lose the middle game 7-4 in that matchup with the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Texas was able to win two of three against Oklahoma State. Texas Tech ended up losing their series to the Baylor Bears. Texas Tech ranked number five in the land. They lost two of three to the Baylor Bears. Tennessee was at Texas A&M, and they went all the way to College Station and won that series, winning 6-1 and 20-7. They lost the middle game 6-5. Louisville was supposed to play this weekend. They had a COVID cancellation. They were not able to get their games in. TCU had a sweep. uh, Rather, no, they won two of three against the Kansas Jayhawks. East Carolina they lost their series with UCF. UCF gets the victories of 4-2. to two. It looks like they played four games. Rather, it doesn't matter. East Carolina, which was ranked number nine, the Pirates go down to UCF over the weekend. And then in college baseball in Oxford, Mississippi, at Swayze Field, Mississippi, which was ranked number 12, had LSU in over the weekend. LSU escapes with a victory in the first game and then ends up winning seven rather – they won, let's see here, Mississippi, the way this thing's set up, it's actually in reverse, so that's why I'm a little confused. Okay, LSU, I know, won barely the first game. They won convincingly the second game. And the third game, LSU was killing Mike Bianco's Mississippi Rebels, Land Sharks. And then the Sharks came back with a, 
a, a scene out of Jaws and won 10-9 to and won in walk-off fashion, by the way, and got the victory in that last game. So Mississippi loses that series, and they'll likely slip in the polls even more. And then Florida, they played a series with Auburn, and they went to the Plains and won that series, winning two of three. And that's a quick look at some of your top 25 scores from around the land in college baseball. How about college football? If you have FCS playoffs going on this past weekend, and from that side of the ledger, the Southern Illinois Salukis defeated Weber State 34-31. The Jackrabbits of South Dakota State advanced. They'll take on their fellow Missouri Valley Conference member, Salukis of Southern Illinois, because South Dakota State defeated Holy Cross. The Blue Hens and Coach uh, the Blue Hens and their favorite fan, Joe Biden, they defeated Sacred Heart. They'll move on to take on the Jacksonville State Gamecocks out of the OVC. Jacksonville State defeated Davidson over the weekend. Sam Houston State knocked off Monmouth 21-15. They'll advance. They'll take on the Bison of North Dakota State as North Dakota State came back to beat Eastern Washington 42-20. North Dakota defeated Missouri State 44-10. And James Madison, the Dukes there in Harrisonburg, Virginia, defeated the Southern Conference champ VMI Cadets 31-24. James Madison and North Dakota will be facing off against each other this coming weekend in round two of the FCS College Football Spring Playoffs. Now, Missouri coach Bobby Petrino was named the Missouri, Missouri State coach. Bobby Petrino was named the Missouri Valley Football Conference's top coach. So way to go, Bears coach Bobby Petrino in his first year in Springfield guiding that program. Of course, the former Arkansas coach and the former Louisville coach, and I think he even coached Western Kentucky there, I think. Bobby Petrino, a great job in his first year winning Coach of the Year honors from his league, the Missouri Valley Conference. Former Oakland Raiders great Mike Davis, who won two Super Bowls with the team and made an iconic interception. Drafted by the Raiders in 1977, he has died at the age of 65. He played 10 seasons with the Raiders and helped them win two Super Bowls. A sad day for the Raider Nation with the loss of that great player from the late 70s and early 80s. You got the NFL draft taking place this coming Thursday, starting with round one. The Detroit Lions say they're open to trading their number seven pick in the draft. The Carolina Panthers at number eight have also said they're not opposed to trading down in the draft. So a lot of fun coming up here with the NFL draft scheduled for this Thursday, Friday, Saturday from Cleveland, Ohio. Get ready for NFL football to take over the headlines as if it doesn't already. But in this case, a lot of us are excited about the NFL draft since last year's draft was kind of muted in a big way because of coronavirus. This year, you get the NFL draft taking place in Cleveland and a chance to see which the the actual order that all these experts are predicting of the quarterback order, at least how that will play out over the course of the 2021 NFL Draft. We'll be telling you all about it here on the Y'all Show. Coming up after a quick timeout, a quick look at some Southern history and a first lady birthday today. All that here on the show that's all about the South.
All right, continuing on the Y'all Show, uh, Southern History Showcase here with John Rawl. Again, our number, 803-816-1170, if you want to reach out to us. And maybe you want to reach out and say, happy birthday, Melania Trump. Yes, born this day in 1970, and she was born in Slovenia, then part of the Eastern Bloc of the Soviet Union, as she has citizenship in both Yugoslavia. She had that until 1991 when there was a Yugoslavia, then in Slovenia from 1991 present, of course, becoming a U.S. citizen in 2006, the wife of 45th President Donald J. Trump, the mother of Baron Trump, Melania Trump, born Melania Nafs, or Naus is the Germanized way of saying her maiden name, the former model turned businesswoman turned first lady of the United States, and now a Floridian living with the president at Mar-a-Lago in South Florida. Congratulations, Melania Trump, for surviving the White House, for one thing, but also on a 51st birthday here today, Melania Trump. Also, someone else who had a birthday here, speaking of presidents, not not the same year that Melania Trump was born, James Monroe, our fifth president of the United States, born in 1758 on April 28th. And he is considered a founding father of the United States. But for whatever reason, this statesman, lawyer, diplomat, it may not be quite as famous as some of the other founding fathers. Although we have counties and even towns named after James Monroe. James Monroe, born in Virginia and what was then British America. He was born in Monroe Hall, Virginia. And that is in Westmoreland County, and he was born in 1758, of course. Ended up being a part of the, the, the ratification of the Constitution. That was a big part of his legacy. And he served as governor of Virginia, then a member of the U.S. Senate. He was U.S. ambassador of both France and Britain and was a secretary of state. And then became the fifth president of the United States, serving from 1817 until 1825. James Monroe, born this week, as I said, in the Virginia colony of that time, born in 1758. He died in 1831 at age 73. Go check him out. Lots of stuff to say about James Monroe. Don't have enough time here today, but a great American, a great Southerner. Also in this week's in history, in 1788, Maryland became the seventh U.S. state. So happy birthday, Maryland. A southern state on the edge for sure, but they became a state this week in 1788, the seventh U.S. state. And then in 1812 this week, Louisiana became our nation's 18th U.S. state. So happy birthday, April 30th, 1812, Louisiana, which broke off of the Louisiana Purchase, the Orleans Territory, I believe is what it was called, and they formed Louisiana. And did you realize, I think it's the 31st parallel, was the line determined what would be the state of Louisiana and what would be the Louisiana Purchase. Essentially, everything north of that line became what we know as Arkansas, moving on into other states like Missouri and more. But yes, Louisiana becomes a state this week in 1812. And there was some real concern about adding Louisiana as a state because of the Catholic presence. 
was Louisiana with the citizens of that state going to answer to the president or were they going to answer to the pope? That was a real concern as Congress was debating whether to actually add them as a state in the early 1800s. But as we know, they were added and they've been a pretty darn good state. And I know if you're from Louisiana, you'd say we've been a great state. Hey, <laughs> we got more of the y'all show coming up in hour two. Don't miss it. We got Jerry Short, the Takapola storyteller. He'll be on in just a few. Also, we're going to let you know more about what's going on on the homepage of the South. All that coming up on y'all talk with a Southern accent. We are back to talking about everything in the 16 southern states. Hey, I'm John, and this is Y'all. Y'all.com is our homepage. Check it out. You can actually get archives of this show and every show that we've done. It's Y-A-L-L.com, that four-letter word that is never, never a bad thing to yell out. Y'all, y'all, y'all.com. The homepage of the South. Speaking of the South, in just a few minutes here, we've got Jerry Short coming to us from Takapola, U.S. of A. And Jerry's going to let us know what's going on with him here, how his weekend went and such. Always fun to talk to the storyteller. We'll have him on. And Art Cruz, always fun to talk to Art. Art will be on in hour number three of today's Y'all Show. We're going to look at Tennessee football. Tennessee had their spring game this past weekend. We'll get Art's take on that. Mississippi also had a spring game. We'll hear some audio from both Josh Heupel and Lane Kiffin in hour number three. Also, you had in baseball a couple of homer games that were a big deal. And then the Braves had a little bit of a rough go of it on the diamond. We'll let you know about that. And then outside of the world of sports with Art Cruz, he'll discuss the Dana Bash Kamala Harris interview that was on CNN over the weekend all that coming up on y'all talk with a southern accent let's get back into headlines across the southeast a sad story coming from georgia over the weekend six people killed in a fiery crash on i-85 northwest of downtown atlanta and the victims all part of what's being called a sober living group they were in a van 16 people were inside this passenger van as it flipped over and caught fire saturday evening more details coming in this sad story out of Gwinnett County, Georgia, over the weekend. Deputies on leave in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, after the killing of a black man being shot and killed by members of that sheriff's department in eastern North Carolina who were serving a drug-related search and arrest warrant. And the sheriff there has now confirmed that a number of deputies on leave due to the shooting there in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. A sign that things might actually be getting kind of the way that you hope they would be. Over the weekend, in Nashville, Bridgestone Arena welcomed back fans for its first show there, this amazing venue, home of the Nashville Predators, home of award shows, home of concerts, home of the SEC basketball tournament and more. This weekend, Bridgestone Arena opened up for a, a comedian. Mike Epps came and took the stage in front of a lot of people. 
and it was a 33% capacity there, according to Metro Nashville's health guidance team. But 5,000 people were able to go inside and participate in the show. Bridgestone Arena currently has a no-bag policy, and masks are required to be worn inside. But sure enough, you had a pretty decent crowd there at the home of the Nashville Predators. You've got some more stuff coming up soon if you want to make your plans to go to Nashville June 12th. The Cinch World's Toughest Rodeo will be taking place in downtown Nashville. I've actually been to a rodeo inside Bridgestone Arena in the past. It was a lot of fun. I think that was the only rodeo this Southern boy's ever attended, now that I think about it. I still haven't made it to a monster truck deal. I need to try that out sometime so I can get my full Southern slash redneck credentials. Concerts also coming up at Bridgestone Arena, where maybe they'll be able to bump that attendance number up a little bit more. In July, they'll have concerts by Justin Bieber, Luke Bryan, Alabama with Martina McBride, and the Doobie Brothers, all planning to play at Bridgestone Arena. But again, this past weekend, Mike Epps was doing a little concert gig there at Bridgestone Arena. Now, Mike Epps, I've seen the guy. I don't know that much about him. So let me tell you about Mike Epps, comedian. He is actually a guy born in Indiana and ended up going to Brooklyn to star in Deaf Comedy Jam back in 1994 and has been part of that Deaf Comedy Jam franchise, if you will, for a long time. He got his first on-screen appearance in Vin Diesel's directorial debut, Strays, back in 1987. Then he was cast as Ice Cube's co-star in the sequel next Friday. So I guess I've just missed out on a lot of things. His voice has been in Dr. Doolittle 2 as Sonny the Bear in that film there mike epps out of the state of indiana an actor and comedian and i think just a a darn fine american although not exactly from the south now how about this he is actually married to someone oh my goodness we might have to boycott mike Epps, according to his wikipedia page which we know is flawless and perfect journalism goes on there according to it epps is married to o W Okay, I'm sorry. See, that shows how dumb I am. <laughs> Not OAN, which would get him in trouble. He is married to OWN network executive and Fix My Life producer Kyra Robinson. OWN is not a political network. It's the Oprah Winfrey network. So, oops, I, I thought OAN, and I was going to get him in trouble. But no, he's, I think he'll be fine. Yes, he's married to her, uh, and they lived. They, he married her, and then they divorced I think in 2017, according to OWN. But there you have it. Mike Epps was there in Nashville this past weekend making people laugh, and that's a, a positive sign that we're progressing and maybe things will be get back to normal all around the country sooner before you know it will be back up and going 100%. How about some business news? Apple has announced their first East Coast campus, and it will be opened up in the state of North Carolina. Yes, Apple announcing plans today that they're going to invest more than a billion dollars in North Carolina to build the company's first East Coast campus, a move expected to bring at least 3,000 new jobs to the Tar Hill State. The development comes as part of an effort by Apple to up investment as the U.S. begins rebuilding from the COVID-19 pandemic. This project in North Carolina falls under a commitment to invest $430 billion and add a total of 20,000 new jobs over the next five years as they're expanding teams in Colorado, Massachusetts, Texas, Washington, New York, California, and other states. Now, this campus in North Carolina 
is a campus that will be an engineering hub and is set to be located in the Raleigh-Durham area's Research Triangle Park alongside hundreds of other science and technology firms. Now, we don't know exactly a timeline for when this project will be completed, but Apple making that eastward move and now going to open up a big, what they call, campus in North Carolina. Apple is growing for sure. And to their credit, they're putting money in the United States and not into a place called China. China. Hey, because they are growing and people are making money, maybe if you're a person out here making lots of money now, you might be interested in this next story. If you've got a couple of extra dollars floating around and you want to spend it on something useful, how about owning your own private island that concludes a moat and a helicopter pad? Well, you're in luck, my friends. This $11.7 million island with a moat and a helicopter pad is now on the market. Oh, it sure is. And there's also, by the way, a 2,300-square-foot home that's included that's entirely self-sufficient, and it comes with its own water supply, diesel generators, and a solar and wind power included. Yes, this home is in Florida. It's a quarter mile away from the shore, the surrounding waters off what's called the best and class coral reef snorkeling, fishing, diving, windsurfing, and sports, according to the listing. Yes, you can own your own slice of heaven off the coast of Florida, but not very far, as I said, just just, uh, just, just pretty close to it. It's in Monroe, Florida is where this is, $11.7 million. Now, Monroe is the county that Key West is in, so I believe the address is 1 East Sister Rock. Sister Rock Island. <laughs> I'm looking at a picture. It looks amazing. I- I'd love to have it. And it's got its own moat. Just like, I guess you have to worry out there about pirates coming and attacking your home instead of the old, old-fashioned robber coming to your house. But yes, beautiful place. If you've got over $11 million, that could be yours right there in the state of Florida. And as we wrap up here on the Y'all Show, U.S. News, we just told you the other day about a, a ranking that came out that had Louisiana and Alabama pretty low on the list. Well, U.S. News has their own best states ranking, and they come out with this ranking based on data points to measure how well states are performing for their citizens. In addition to health, care, and education, the metrics that U.S. News uses take into account a state's economy, the roads and bridges, and the Internet, as well as other infrastructure needs of a state. Also, they factor in public safety and the fiscal stability of a state when they determine their ranking. So, with all that knowledge, according to usnews.com, their ranking of states around the country, Washington State is at number one. I don't understand how that could be possible, but when they're factoring in health care, education, economy, infrastructure, opportunity, fiscal stability, crime and corrections, and natural environment, somehow, according to their research, Washington State is number one. Minnesota comes in at two, Utah three, New Hampshire four, Idaho five. Where are our southern states? Six is Nebraska. Hey, Virginia is at seven, and Florida is at ten in this list. So who are some of the southern states? And I guess if I'm telling you who's at the top, I really want to know who's at the bottom of U.S. News' list of states of the south. Louisiana comes in dead last in this ranking of states. Louisiana is at 50. Mississippi is at 49. 
West Virginia is at 46. Hey, Alabama, you're 46 in the U.S. News listing of best states. You're the 46th best state, according to the U.S. News. Take up your complaints with them, not me, okay? Arkansas's 44. Oklahoma is at 43. The Palmetto State of South Carolina is 42. The Bluegrass State of Kentucky is the 41st best state, according to U.S. News. Dot com Again, complaints to them, not me. I'm just the messenger here, y'all. Also, Texas is at number 31 in this ranking. Tennessee comes in at number 29 in the best state ranking. Show Me State of Missouri is at 28. And then you have to go all the way up to, let's see here, Georgia is 18, Maryland 17, North Carolina is at 13, and as I said, Florida is in Number 10 spot here, the best southern state, according to their research. Virginia is at 7 in the U.S. News listing of the best states in the country. Now, take it up with them. i just tell you the, what, what they're saying here, but I'll, I would definitely make an exception to that list. I would not have a single state not in the South in the top 16. I would leave that for us in the South. We deserve to be number one at something and we're number one in the y'all book i'll tell you that friends when we come back after this break on the y'all show we'll be joined by our takapola storyteller jory jerry short man it's always fun to catch up with him and you're going to enjoy the conversation as the y'all show talk with a southern accent rolls on number one state in the country come on Welcome back to Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent on a Monday, our first day of getting together after a couple days off the air. John Rawl in with you here, and it's time to go to Takapola, USA, where we find our Takapola storyteller, Jerry Short, and he always has something amazing to say. And if you've got something amazing to say or get off your chest, we welcome that at 803-816-1170. You can text, you can call. Just glad to talk to y'all here on everything southern again jerry short's been part of our program a very long time and always fun to get him on to get this kind of perspective of what's going on in takapola and jerry you're back on the y'all show how you doing on this monday oh john that's a beautiful day after all that uh drizzling rain saturday oh uh, yesterday was okay just a little windy and cool but uh make you feel good make you want to get out and do some work yeah, it, that rain just would not go away. I went to the catfish event, and I talked about it earlier in the show, and I, I really thought it would clear up at some point, and that's the kind of day you, you, you carry a coat because you're going to be cold. You carry a rain jacket because it's going to rain. You just, you just don't know what to do, Jerry Short, and sure. that's something I had in mind with you. I, I'm confused these days. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of an old-timer, Jerry. and Lord, me too. You know that. And I'm also an old-fashioned old-timer, 
And there's something that's just getting a lot of attention these days. I think it was already growing in popularity before the pandemic started, but because of the pandemic, this thing really took off. And that is the Grubhubs, the Uber Eats, the DoorDashes, and those type of uh, ways of ordering food and delivering. And it has become a way of life for a lot of people across the region and across the nation. Have you ever actually use the service of one of these online ordering applications well and since you mentioned it uh i had a little medical thing not to get over heated till they decide what to do to situation that i've got medically and uh i decided i'd do it just for the fun of it so uh order it or or work for now it. i contacted one to be uh a, a food delivery service uh courier i guess it'd be a courier service restaurant to customer Mm-hmm. type situation and so i've done it a week you've been delivering one yeah, of these I, one of these apps you've been delivering food yeah, to people sure have and the technology has really reached out there to grab a hold of something like it connecting your local customers and restaurants to an independent contractor it's amazing how they do that so uh yeah i've done it for i've done it for about a week kind of on and off it lets you set your own time and uh, you can say, I want to do it from so-and-so a.m. to so-and-so or p.m. to so-and-so. And then you can uh, do it that or you can recline or uh, accept an order. And uh, you take it from the restaurant. And they're all uh, technology-wise, they're tied in with the uh, companies. I think you just mentioned three or four companies I heard you mention. And they're tied in with those. And uh, the customer has an app and he's tied in with them and you can make contact with the customer you deliver it to him it's uh gps <clears throat> excuse me it's gps on your uh on your app also so uh you it'll direct you from restaurant point a to point b customer and uh put you right at the right at their front door uh you know, there's a few things you need to do when you do it. You need to take a picture of the place, and you need to uh, uh, let your uh, independent contractor, I guess I'll call them that. I don't know any other name unless you tell which company. But uh, you put your independent contractor, you contact them back, and you tell them the delivery has been made. And you can get your uh, your financing, uh, that, uh, the pay that you get for it. They tell they tip the company you were uh the independent company and then they'll uh, direct deposit in your bank account so uh hey the technology is running away with these old country boys <laughs> now again yeah. we're, we're talking with our taco polo storyteller jerry short we're talking about these apps that you can get on your phone and order food and these are available all over the south these days rural areas in the middle of cities of course and a lot of times you've got various companies that compete against each other in these markets, lots of companies, actually. And you're delivering these things. And, Jerry, I don't mean to pick on you. I don't think that this, oh, is, this is a state secret here. You're delivering yeah. this stuff with a national delivery food app type deal, and you're right. you're at least more than, let's say, 40 years old. Uh, uh, I think, you've got, I think so. you've got grandchildren. <laughs> so here you are uh, – a a very distinguished senior citizen will just say that and you're delivering this stuff so I, the reason I'm, I'm i'm bringing this up is you don't have to be 20 years old and right out of college to be using this 
app to make money. You could actually deliver if you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, heck, maybe even your 80s, 90s, or 100. Yeah. You know, the hardest part about it uh, would be if you're like in a uh, metropolitan or college area that has uh, three and four story buildings and uh, you got to go to apartment X and uh, you may have to climb the stairs um, and a little walk in there. But if you're, you know, if you're able to do that, uh, you're good to go. And uh, got to have a smartphone. You got to be good to go on that. And uh, you uh, got wheels, and uh, you can go. Uh, I mean, if you lived in a pretty good neighborhood or around a college town or something, you could probably do it on a bicycle hmm. um, because you just pick it up at the uh, restaurant and uh, every kind of restaurant and every kind of food product. Yeah, so, I wanted to ask you about that. Okay, I know the the general question is, Jerry, is it worth your time and effort? Are you making pretty good money delivering food? Well, you know, I think, you know, like I said, only one week so far. And uh, it, the more you uh, do it and the more customers that you, uh, that you get accustomed to, you can kind of uh, – you can, like I told you earlier, you can recline, you can decline or accept the order. And the order, when you do that, it'll tell you how much they're going to pay. The company pays X amount. And then the tip at the end of it, they pay X amount also. So you know how much money you're going to make and you know how far you've got to go. And you try to get it there as quick as you can because you try to keep it warm, obviously. But, uh, you know, once you, once you get a kind of, kind of a route that you know would be more beneficial financially to you uh you can you cannot take some of them now i started out taking anything because i felt felt like the major company would uh would uh, go ahead and give me more opportunities and they grade you and uh and they've got a lot of other things like if you recommend someone else to do it they got a hundred dollars that they'll give you for that so I figure, you know, if you work pretty, if you're in a pretty good area, you're not going to get rich. Um, but you could, you do it all day. You can make a couple hundred dollars in a good area, a hundred to a couple hundred dollars. But in a bad day, you might not make uh, $50. But again, you can, um, well, I did it yesterday hmm. and uh, I made $50 in three hours. Fifty dollars and three. That's after gas expense and all that. But I was fixing to knock it off. I kept up with my mileage because you got a tax write off on that also. And uh, I kept up with my mileage. And gas now, where I got gas was two fifty yesterday a gallon. Just heard someone on TV uh, this morning say that they'd paid five fifty in California. So Mm. that I'm doing it in California. But um, anyway, uh, I felt like uh, in those three hours, and I made uh, seven deliveries, and I probably uh, maybe two, uh, maybe $3 worth of gas, three and a half max. So knock it off to 50 47 $46, something like that. And, uh, you know, that's not bad for you know, I'd be sitting around doing probably nothing anyway. I like to drive, you know, if you enjoy driving. Just, you know, you hit these peak times of the day. Try to figure out where they are. Figure out where your best tipping customers are. Uh, I actually had one that uh, tipped uh, $3 for one drink from a known uh, 
drive through. <laughs> and all the guy was one drink. So somebody goes and orders through one of these online food service companies like what you're working for a drink they don't even get food this one just got that was that was so unusual i couldn't believe it it uh it was actually a coffee it was a flavored coffee mm-hmm. at uh at a drive-through and uh the company pays you i'm just throw some figures out close yeah and, go and for it know. that's why we got you on here to learn a little <laughs> bit more because so many people use this stuff now yeah. Let's say the company would pay you $3, then they'd give you the tip. This person would say tips uh, $3. So you look and you say $6. How many items do you pick up at this drive-thru? And where is it? And, uh, so you look at the address of the drive you know, And then you look where his where his apartment or his house is or whatever. And it, it's right around the corner. So you say, gosh, that's not far. Guy could have walked over there. But uh, – Anyway, you, you know, young guy could have walked over there. So uh, he he goes ahead and tips and puts it in. You say say six bucks, and you pick up with a one drink, and then you deliver it to. I think he was on the second floor of an apartment complex. So uh, then you when you do it, you take a picture of the door that you've dropped it off. Sometimes they don't want you to. Uh, I don't know if it's because of the COVID. I hadn't asked it. Or if it's that way all the time, or some people just are kind of concerned about uh, somebody uh, knocking on the door and not knowing who it is. So you just put it at the uh, base of the door and take a photo of it. And then on this uh, this high, high technology app, it picks that picture, that photo that you just took up, and then you swipe a, a thing on your app that says uh, deliver completed. And then that's it. And then, of course, they make contact. They've got an app. And they'll make contact, uh, not necessarily with me, but I can talk to them because they have a place where I can push for a phone because I had a little problem getting uh, getting that one through because of the uh, – it seemed like the GPS was kind of out of whack at that time. I don't know if it was busy or not. So I called the person that got that particular item and said, did you – you got your item in your hand, right? And they said, yes, I got it right now. So I typed that message in back to the uh, independent contract company. And uh, then they give me back the information that, okay, things are okay. We got it cleared up. You know? and, and then they set you back up. And uh, another interesting thing about it, they uh, have peak times when they, maybe they don't have enough people that are uh, delivering for that, this independent company. Yeah. And they'll give you extra pay. And I've seen it go up as much as $3 a trip in some areas. You know, at certain times, it might just be for an hour. For the next hour, if you will accept this delivery, we'll add $3 to what we pay. And so they pay $3 to start with. They give you $6. And then the person adds a tip to it and say they throw a $3 tip on it. That's $9. And it might not be, but... um, three miles hmm. so uh you know those things happen and you go to restaurants i you know picked up a lot of pizza uh yesterday uh and i had I think i had nine items on that one and uh they left a five dollar tip hey, so, hey you're getting rich yeah, well that's what i'm saying it's uh it you know it's better than just uh not doing anything um and uh, i would recommend it to 
uh, a college student, it seems to me like it would be really good. Uh, oh, if you, you recommend somebody, they'll uh, they'll give you a hundred dollars mm. if they accept. Yeah. All right, I like it. But one oh. reason we got Jerry Short, our Taco Polo storyteller, on is he's doing this now. He's delivering this food, and he's doing it to make a little money, but he's also getting a chance to meet people. It gives him something to do. And Jerry, again, is in his golden years. And so if you're in your golden years and you're bored and you're tired and you don't have anything to do, this could be an option. That's why we got the Taco Polo storyteller on here. Uh, but yeah, I mean, normally I really prefer hard work and outside work. But like I said, I had a little medical situation and uh, they uh, slowed me down for a while. And I looked at this thing and I said, well, I can do that. You know, it's no problem. So I grabbed it up and and it is it's it's fun. And uh, well, as a matter of fact, I took my wife with me yesterday Ooh. and. So I let her run it, run run in and get pick up some stuff and uh, go around. Now they give you an ID card and uh, they give you a number for each customer, and they they won't give their full name. You know, it'll be like uh, John B, say, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you'll you know, you'll take it to John B, but you won't know it's John Belushi or whoever it might be, you know, <laughs> or John Rawl. Yeah. But uh, anyway. Um, you know, it's 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 pretty well orchestrated to the point that it's safe. Now you would think, you know, sometimes delivering stuff like that wouldn't be very safe, but uh, they got both sides of the coin covered pretty good, as far as the <clears throat> customer and the delivery person and the restaurant, obviously. But you, the restaurant, you know, when you accept one, they'll they'll send you out on your app. Will you accept this? And, Sometimes they'll just overload you. I I did two at one time yesterday, and then I turned down another one. But I had two going, so I the two restaurants were close by each other. And then they'll text you, hey, you're the closest guy there. If you're not going to take this, it can hurt your rating. So, you know, I picked up both of them, and it so happened both places were pretty close to each other, the delivery points. So, uh you can do two at one time. I think one of those didn't pay, but three fifty and a tax. I think it wasn't much, but uh, the other one was an eight dollar one beside it, and they were right there close to each other. So they probably it probably wasn't the longest one I had was oh probably five miles yesterday. Hmm. It but paid eight dollars. On the other side of the coin, though, you do have some people who don't tip. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you'll you'll learn that, and you'll learn who they are, and you'll learn probably where they order from, and you can you can decline to accept that. And then if if everybody's declining to accept that, then the the contractor will come back and say, for this run, we'll give you another hour. Uh, this this hour, we'll give <clears throat> you another dollar, possibly sometimes two dollars. Uh, I was looking around the area in Memphis and other towns that did it just on the phone uh, uh, last night. And I noticed one place, they must have really been desperate. They was giving $5 extra. Golly. I need to quit. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, I'm signing off the y'all show, and here I come to your doorstep with with supper. (laughs) I wouldn't recommend you quitting your uh, day job, but it's pretty 
pretty doggone uh, interesting. And like you said earlier, you know, occasionally you get to meet people and talk to people, and uh, you'll get to know them, I think, as time goes on, especially in restaurants and things like that when you go in. You know, you're liable to be at Buffalo Wild Wings or you're liable to be at Chili's or you're liable to, you know, you get meals like those also. It's not just drive-through fast, fast chain sometimes. Sometimes it's really good stuff. And uh, and gone to a buffet yet. Oh, you haven't? <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know what I'd do at a buffet, what all I'd put. But they usually, when they order, they call in and they'll say, uh, you know, I want this and I want maybe mayonnaise and mustard or ketchup on the sandwich or I want french fries and I want this and, and then what drink they want and, and things. And you'll learn, that, you know, there's things that you, like a drink carrier, you need one of those and they don't tell you that. But, uh, you know, when you carry uh, these uh, 32-ounce Coke in a cup, you need kind of one of those carriers that you could put one or two in to balance the thing and you wouldn't have to carry them out in your hand. Mm-hmm. So that, that would be uh, probably the biggest thing. Now they, they will send you. And I just, while while we were talking, he came up on my phone that my uh, warming, you know how you haul pizzas in those uh, containers that keep them warm. Right. They send you one of those out too for your food. And mine was delivered uh, when I signed up last week. But I just got noticed then on my phone that it was being dropped off by UPS. So, anyway. <laughs> They're doing a good job there. And yeah. on the flip side of delivery, the people who receive these things, one of the reasons we're talking about it here on the Y'all Show with our Taco Polo Storyteller is so many people take advantage of these services now. And I didn't realize how important this what thing was until I talked to a couple not long ago jerry both were in their uh-huh. mid mid 80s and Dang. the man can't drive he's legally blind and yeah. the woman i guess doesn't want to go without her husband so right. here's a couple who are in their 80s and uh-huh. they told me that almost every meal they eat at home is through one of these food service delivery companies gosh that makes it good too you know and uh i'm sure they've they- probably uh have somebody they may even request a certain person to deliver it you never know but uh they uh don't have a lot of cleanup either no. they, they've got the carry out type uh, uh containers and things so they you know that's good all the way around yeah and again so many people especially during the pandemic relied on these kind of companies and people like jerry short out there when they when they come to your doorstep say hello to them you never know you might just have a new friend if you have that food delivered. Well, they will tell you on your uh, order that uh, you accept. Uh, they uh, want you to drop it off. They don't want to uh, talk to you personally. Or it will say, uh, ring the doorbell and hand it to them personally. So, you know, that gives that customer the privilege and the right and the, and not being afraid of who might be delivering mm-hmm. You know, which this day and time, you probably need to be aware of everything. It'll give you that option also. Jerry, let me ask a dumb question. So uh, it uh, sounds like a lot of people don't want to actually lay eyes on you when you come knocking on their door. So how do they true. know that the food's there? Let's say they got a big house. They're out on the back patio. How do they know you actually have dropped they, off that food? They can follow you on their app, and uh, they'll tell you, I missed one, went by it. This was at a university at a uh, Big Mackay house, mm-hmm. and uh, 
I went by it and he said, leave it at my door. And of course, it's just one front door going into Sigma Chi. And I drove by it and I turned and said, you are here. Well, I pull up and there's only one door, but how did I get to that uh, a, a room number? You know? And so the guy calls me, I mean, texts me. And he says, I am at the front door. It is, I went by to another fraternity and it said, you are at, uh, we have four columns at the front. I will be at the front door. So I turn around and go back there. So, you know, it, uh, it works out good. All right. If uh, it works for you, it works for us. Jerry Short again, right now, moonlighting as a food service delivery fella. Maybe he'll be knocking on your door soon. Not a bad gig. <laughs> we're not done with jerry we've also got him moonlighting as a y'all show contributor here and we're going to go to a quick break when we come back jerry talked about a little medical condition that he's been having to go through well one of those just might be stress and after something that happened to one of his family members this weekend well, friends i think this, this particular stress condition could happen to a lot of us because of something called ATVs, scary stuff out there, and a lot of people get hurt on these things and killed too. And Jerry, thankfully, situation turned out good. We're going to learn more about that and what you can do to not be injured and to be smart when you're on these Polaris's and other ATVs across the Southland. More of our conversation with Jerry Short, the Takapola storyteller, continues after this. Riding along, riding my own mule Minding my own business, wasn't bothering the soul Now I see the possum and a raccoon The raccoon was up the cement tree and the possum was on the ground the possum hollered up to the raccoon says, hey bub, says throw me some simmons down Back on the Y'all Show, talk with a southern accent. Got our Takapola storyteller, Jerry Short, on with us. Just a few minutes, we'll have our southern czar of all things, Art Cruz, on with us. And we're talking to Jerry now about, well, everything that sounds. We just learned about his career that he's launched delivering food. But now we're going to have Jerry on more of a public service announcement. And this is something that we want everybody to, to, to hear and maybe learn from, especially if you got little ones out there. But, Jerry, something happened with one of your family members over the weekend that could have been a lot worse. Tell us about it. Yeah, we really, God was blessing us. Uh, my youngest granddaughter, uh, who is a seventh grader, was uh, at the controls of a one of these four by four side by side Polaris or whatever you want to call them. And they really are kind of dangerous. And uh, she was, uh, had, three other girls with her her age and they were riding in pasture and rough in some pretty rough ground and places out there and uh you know i was hoping they learned to be really careful we had a we had a young man at the academy where they go to school too last year that uh jerked the steering wheel on the road and it when he, he had the same kind of vehicle the polaris four before when he flipped it flipped him out the side 
and threw him down the uh, highway, uh, which was an asphalt road. Threw him down there, and he took his whole face away, and he he almost died. He almost bled to death. But uh, they they didn't even think he would live. They flew him to uh, the uh, medical center in Jackson, and uh, they found a little his he, everything on his face was gone from his chin up no nose left no lips no nothing and no teeth all the teeth were worn out everything was gone so they uh he's back in school this year wearing a mask as they try to reconstruct his uh, face mm-hmm. so the kids are around it they know it they see it they know what happened but still these accidents happen so uh, to get to the, get to what happened my granddaughter who is uh 13 she was driving and she was going to turn left and she was probably going too fast i think she admitted that she was going a little too fast and uh she was just uh, about sunday having a good day with these other girls and she was turning left and one of the girls said turn it right real quick you know see what's over and she flipped it back right and when she flipped that steering wheel it flipped. I don't know if the front tires are how it does, but it got uh, tripped up, and it flipped in the air. Might have been going over a high bump. I hadn't been out there to survey that area that close, but uh, it flipped three, two, at least two times, and the girls were all thrown out on the uh, grass around it. And um, I think. Uh, I don't know if you got it. I sent you a picture of what it looked like, but uh, a photo. But uh, anyway, <clears throat> when uh, a, a lady that uh, lived up at uh, on on that farm saw, saw that they were late getting there, she come down and the girls were all laying out on the grass, scratched up, uh, bruised up. Luckily, uh, after they was uh, checked out. They didn't have any broken bones. I mean, it was really a miracle. It, it was soft ground after the rain mm-hmm. and deep grass probably helped save anybody from serious injury. But uh, that doggone thing was upside down and they were out of it and they were laying on the grass and they were all crying. And <clears throat> the lady come up and said, you know, the Lord was with you. You've been blessed. And uh, my daughter told me my granddaughter went to uh kind of crying because she felt like she would have been responsible uh, for driving and doing that and, and, and spinning that wheel around and throwing them all out. And they all really realized how dangerous that thing was. And, you know, <clears throat> they, uh, they all promised that they'd never even get back in one, you know, that's to be seen, but they, you know, as far as riding and getting in one, people, kids usually, you know, they overcome disasters pretty quick. A lot quicker than adults, but what I, I looked at, I looked those things up after that, and I found out that you know, it's one of these major companies. They are pursuing ten-year-olds and younger. They, you know, they're making them for them also, and they're saying they're they're promoting it in their advertisement. Is let your ten-year-old, let your young child get out and enjoy uh, the trails in the woods and the terrain as you are and you know so they're a little smaller but they're trying to uh, of course they're selling a product but they're trying to get enticing these younger kids to get 
addicted to the uh, to the piece of equipment. And then they'll get one when they can get a bigger and upgrade and upgrade and upgrade, and they'll be in the same thing. And I know it you know, as a grown adult, I first Polaris four-wheeler I bought, it would do about 60 or 65 miles an hour. And I'm out in the woods looking at timber or something and go down a little dusty road, and I kick it in to see if I can get 40, 50, 60 miles an hour out of it. And I'm a grown man, probably 50 years old. So uh, it's not well forty five. That's close, huh? Yeah, but I think I remember that at the time. But, but even I, even in the case where you're a grown man, Jerry, you're going forty five miles an hour in the woods. You don't know what's in front of you. It could be a pothole no. or a limb or anything. That's right. That's right. And that's what. That's why I, I hate to see them promote those things for younger kids because we really feel blessed. And I mean, we're really lucky. They're sore today. They're all sore. I think all. I think all but one of them went went to school today. One stayed home because hmm. uh, he was pretty sore and pretty pretty bruised up. But uh, you know, it was uh, it's one of those things that uh, can happen in the, just a blink of an eye, and uh, you don't know it. It's evidently in the steering because that's what happened to that young man I was telling you about. But he jerked his, and he never had driven one before. Mm-hmm. And he was driving, uh, driving. Somebody else was in it with him, but it threw him out when he turned to that side, and it kind of tilted up. And he went sliding down the, you know, they said, you know, maybe fifty to a hundred feet or so, face down on asphalt. And his his flipped that way, and that's the way my granddaughter flipped. So, I mean, you can be careful. Or you can be a little reckless, or you can be what you call having fun. And I, you know, I rode mules, <laughs> and I, <laughs> and you can I, get killed riding a mule, like the old-fashioned mule I'm talking about. You sure can. We're talking about one of them jack mule type same situations. And uh, so anyway, anyway, I you know I've been kicked by them. I rode bicycles in dangerous places. We've, we've ramped, you know, when that came is a popular thing to do is ramp bicycles and jump over all the ditches and creeks and things. And, you know, I've been hurt in places I don't want to talk about. But it's uh, it's it's not fun to have a child that uh, you can't control all the time. You've got to be worried because you don't know what's going to happen. And especially with these kind of equipment we have today, you know, I'm not knocking these companies or knocking anybody. I know they... They're out there trying to make a business, but you as a parent, make sure your young children aren't on these things like that. And know about the way these things turn. I I had a four-wheeler back in the 80s. I think I had the first model four-wheeler Honda came out with, and I never had a problem on it except one time going on a dirt road, which I grew up on a dirt road, Jerry Short. And one time on that dirt road, I decided to make a turn a little too sharp, and boom, I'd go flying over the side. And that was the only accident I ever had. I was not really hurt, but my feelings were hurt. Yeah, and you were lucky. I was very lucky. You got us to say that. And I've done that on motorcycle. I'm not a very – I'm not an evil Knievel. (laughs) And I I, I seem like every motorcycle I ever got on, I had an accident of some type. So I don't – I hadn't been on one in – since I was 25 or 26 years old, I don't think. But uh, I did go to Twin Falls, Idaho, to see where Evil Knievel jumps the river. And uh, I believe that was a 
set up deal with some parachutes so they can oh fake news huh they could drop down into the snake river but uh he knew what he was doing he could do good stuff too but Uh. you know he's a professional and he did it all his life don't get out there and act like you're an evil knievel or a fool you know yes sir and uh, i'm glad you're safe i'm glad you came out of yours okay and, I uh, think I'm all right. It's been a few years ago, but I think I turned out all right. Jerry Short, our message here today, be safe when you're on these Polaris's and other ATVs. Watch those turns. If you've got a little one, please, please be extra cautious and maybe absolutely. not let them out there by themselves No, if, if uh, you can yeah, avoid it. Not doing that. All right. Because you can't control a child, you know, completely. Mm-hmm. when they're alone and doing their things and uh i could tell you some stories horror stories about how i've barely made it but i was gonna leave it for another we'll time. say that one for another time jerry thank you again our takapola storyteller jerry short on once again we'll look forward to ch- catching up with you next week sir thank you so much and you have a good week also. all right you too as well mr short our storyteller extraordinaire here on the y'all show well we're not done with this hour Stay where you are when we come right back after this break. We've got a quick southern accent on food as the Y'all Show Monday edition rolls on. Another hour still coming up with Art Cruz. Southern accent. Here's what's cooking in the South from Yaw.com. I'm Kobe Bennett. Down here, Chick-fil-A is an institution, being a prime example of good food and amazing service. Even during the pandemic, despite closing dining rooms, the fast food chain remains a model of efficiency and consistency with profits continuing to rise. There's more to their food than meets the eye, as several tasty innovations to the signature waffle fry have come about from creative Chick-fil-A fanatics. Some of the most popular hacks occur at the counter, as one can order their fries well done, double fried, or with a slice of cheese melted on top. Another variation starts at home by loading the fries into a tortilla with Chick-fil-A's signature mac and cheese and ranch, or with cheese, buffalo sauce, and saucy nuggets for some custom crunch wraps. Possibly the most popular of these hacks involves simply stuffing a layer of waffle fries into a chicken sandwich with cheese. This culinary concoction is best prepared with just two or three larger fries from the side order. Now you've got some new ways to enjoy Chick-fil-A. Recipes, tips, headlines, and more at y'all.com. Neil Armstrong waited 6 hours and 39 minutes to step onto the surface of the moon. Jackie Robinson waited 20 months to play his first game with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And even DiCaprio had to wait 22 years to win an Oscar. You can wait until your destination. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. And the Y'all Show Hour 3 is here on this Monday, getting you through the week here on this first day of the work week. I'm John Rawl, the General of All Things Southern, and we are glad to have you back in here. 803-816-1170 is how you can get in touch with y'all. We're also joined by Art Cruz here this hour. Art, hopefully your weekend was absolutely stunning and brilliant. 
Well, how could it not be, John, especially with the uh, beautiful Sunday we had yesterday. Just uh, Chamber of Commerce weekend after the rain stopped on Saturday and continuing through the first couple of days of this week anyway. Yeah, rain across most of the south over the weekend affected some sporting events and more. For a lot of the south, the rain wasn't exactly heavy all the time. It was just kind of a mist and a little bit just, just, just aggravating. One of those days, Art, I was on the highway Saturday and if you've got a fairly modern car, they have all kinds of gadgets in right. terms of the mist control right. and right. things like that. And Saturday's weather, the the rainfall and the mist was really annoying for those of us driving because it never was really consistent. It changed every 30 seconds, it seemed. I had to be adjusting the mist level. Yeah, you, to make your intermittent wipers go a little faster and then a little slower, you you feel like you need maybe as an option somebody that lays on top of your roof. <laughs> with, I thought about that with a squeegee, and every once in a while, when you honk your horn, that person just wipes your windshield. That that would be low tech, but the most effective most effective solve for your problem. I yeah, believe. that would have come in very handy. But I I had a good 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 weekend. I'm sure you had a good weekend. We're going to talk about some of your weekend. We have a little football, spring football action that we're going to discuss with you. In fact, we're going to hear audio from the Tennessee Vols head football coach, Josh Heupel, as he spoke after his team's spring game at Neyland Stadium. We also have the former Tennessee Vols head football coach, Lane Kiffin, as he had his spring game in Oxford this weekend. We've got some audio from that that we'll share with us. Also want to talk to him about some baseball, Braves, didn't have the best of weekend series. Also, is baseball ruining the game? What's going on there? And then later from Art Cruz, we're going to talk about Dana Bash of CNN sitting down with Kamala Harris and how that interview went. All that's coming up here with Art Cruz. If you've got something to say, again, hit us up. Text us 803-816-1170. We did have some spring football this past weekend. Art, did you have a chance to flip through ESPN and see these various spring games being played. I did, John, and uh, I always find the games interesting. Uh, the announcers on these games seem to always get hung up on how the different coaches at different schools keep score in these spring football games. I really don't understand that at all because the score is not important at all. But for some reason, that seems to be the focal point of guys who comment on these games what's important is looking at the position groups that you feel as though your team or the team you're watching is weak at and see if there's any possibility or hope that that position group has strengthened itself or there are candidates uh, at that position i know uh, uh, Ole miss doesn't have the quarterback problem that tennessee does so that wasn't the focus if you watched Ole miss's game if you watch Tennessee you were watching primarily the quarterback and the offensive line but the coach for some reason no matter the school feels pressure to be innovative in the way they keep score and that seems to be the driving force behind these announcers uh, saying they're confused on how the score is kept but if you're a true football fan it's your team out there. It's Ole Miss, or it's Tennessee, or it's LSU. They're playing themselves. The score doesn't matter, but the performance does matter. All right, where are we going to go first, Knoxville or Oxford, for a recap? Well, I would imagine uh, that you 
have superior knowledge to me in uh, what happened in Oxford. So I'm going to go to Knoxville and say that I was pleasantly surprised by Harrison Bailey's performance at quarterback for Tennessee. I know last week uh, when news broke that Joe Milton, quarterback at the University of Michigan, would probably be transferring to Tennessee, I said that the room, the quarterback room, of course, is what I'm speaking of, the room would be overflowing at that point, and somebody would probably transfer, and that somebody would probably be Harrison Bailey. However, after seeing Harrison Bailey's performance on Saturday, he obviously understands Josh Heupel's offense better than any other quarterback uh, presently on the team. Uh, his his arm is not overly strong. As a matter of fact, you could not say that he has a strong arm, but he does have an accurate arm. He's not the most athletic quarterback, but he's able to move around in the pocket and throw the ball downfield. So Harrison Bailey very much distinguished himself and separated himself from Brian Maurer uh, and, and the other Tennessee quarterbacks that were playing in that game. All right, Josh Heupel had something to say to the media following the Orange and White Spring game at Neyland Stadium. Let's go in and listen to the brand-new head football coach of the Tennessee Vols after this Saturday's game. In the short amount of time that we've been here as a coaching staff, the, the growth that they've shown, uh, the accountability that, uh, that we're learning how to have every single day, the accountability uh, to themselves but to, to uh, each other here uh, is really important, proud of where, where we're at and where we have an opportunity to go, a group that's uh, becoming connected, uh, playing for each other, and growing in the right way is proud of, of what they've done here. Obviously, we got uh, a big portion of our offseason here coming up uh, as we get uh, into summer conditioning. Uh, Josh, I was wondering if you could go through individually from, from Hendon and Brian and Harrison and compare what, what you saw with, from them today uh, compared to what you saw from them over the course of the spring. Uh, tough to do that individually here, just with the rotation of, of how the game unfolded uh, to piece together all of that, I think would uh, be unfair to, from my recollection of what they actually accomplished during the course of the game in each draft. I thought this is, is, a, is a total group effort. Um, they've come a long ways in, in the last 14 days leading up to, to today. I think, you know, if you break it up, spring ball up into, into thirds, you know, every five practices, man, you've seen exponential growth from all of them. In their command of what we're doing, the ability to recognize signals, get lined up, um, get their eyes, feet in the right place, uh, be accurate with the football. I think the, the last, you know, three or four practices have been all of theirs best practice. I thought they played really efficient today. Uh, there are a couple times uh, need to get rid of the football maybe a little bit quicker if they're in a real live situation. I think some of that's a little bit uh, tough to judge when, when you know you're not live as well. But uh, did a really good job of, of taking care of the football besides the, the one pick uh, where Burrell makes a, a great break, break on the football and, and turns it into six points and, and a momentum-changing play right there. Uh, but, uh, but proud of what each of them have done this spring and thought they operated really well today. They all had great composure out there. That was Josh Heupel, head coach of the Tennessee Vols, as the Big Orange held their spring football game at Neyland Stadium. I know that that facility normally has over 100,000 souls in attendance on a normal game day. What was it like? I didn't have a chance to look at the crowd this past weekend, Art Cruz. Oh, gosh, I am terrible, terrible at estimating crowds. I will say that uh, there were more people there than I expected okay. because, quite frankly – 
interest in the UT program is at a at a place where I haven't seen it lately. Uh, I haven't seen it in the past 30 or 40 years. The interest level is low. Plus, it was a cool, rainy day in Knoxville, and I thought the crowd was more than re- uh, representative for an orange and white game. I, I want to pick up on one thing that, that Coach Heupel said that's true not only for Tennessee, but for Ole Miss, LSU, Mississippi State, Georgia, Alabama, no matter what school you follow, North Carolina, NC State. Coach Heupel mentioned that now is the time that summer conditioning starts. And I think that is one of the most overlooked phases of college football. I have said many times to my friends, and they will laugh when they hear this, that the second most important coach on the football team, after the head coach, is the strength and conditioning coach. This is the coach that the players are going to be around day in and day out all summer. This is the coach that's going to control the workouts, the weightlifting, the running, uh, quite frankly, part of the nutritional needs of the athletes. But this part of the program will make or break your team in the fall. If you see your team in the fall bending over in the third quarter, uh, hands on their hips or hands on their knees, trying to catch their breath, there's a reason for that. And that's because they're tired and the strength and conditioning program that they underwent in the summer Uh, was not suited to that individual player. It's a science now, John. Uh, Teams do obviously work out together, but each individual player has his, his own individual needs. There is no more important time for a college football team than the summer workout regimen, and um, you won't know how successful your team has been in its summer workout program until the fall, but people that think Football players have a rest until the fall are uh, are far are far from the truth. A lot of these players dread this summer program because this is this is the time that they work the hardest. Once the games start, the fun starts. But there's no fun on summer workouts. But you've got to do it. You've got to go through it if you're going to excel in the fall. Art, have you heard of the summer workout program that's planned for one Matt Corral, the gunslinging QB? of the Mississippi Land Sharks. I have not. I have not. He's going back to his native California, uh-huh. and he's taking his wide receiver core with him. Wow. Now, I don't have all the details. Wow. I only heard about this through a second-hand person, but they heard it through the voice of the of the program, David Kellum, on the spring football game Grove Bowl coverage. They were talking about it. So it looks like the receivers are going to go to California for a couple of weeks and hang out with Matt Corral, who surprised a lot of people in 2020 with his performance as the the Sharks and Lane Kiffin ended up going to a bowl. They defeated Indiana in the Outback Bowl, and it was a fairly successful year one for Kiffin. Would you say so? Absolutely successful for Lane Kiffin. And the fact that the receivers and the quarterback are going to an off-site location to practice their craft really bodes well for Ole Miss. As a coach, uh, you can't hands-on or be on the field with the players during the summertime. However, players know that they are expected 
to work out together. They are expected, the quarterbacks are, and the receivers are expected to get together and run routes and work out, work on their timing. As I said, the coach cannot be there during that time and do any hands-on coaching, but this is what is expected of you. But this is taking it to a new level, to go to an off-site location, to go to another state, to go back home to California, to go where the weather is going to be nice. Uh, I see a dual benefit in this. Number one, the, the quarterback and the receivers will be together and working on their timing, and that's going to do nothing but help Ole Miss in the fall. But secondly, as a player, I would love it because <laughs> in California, you're out from under the thumb of your strength and conditioning coach. Yeah. You're on your own. And so uh, I'm sure these guys will put themselves through a program, and they've probably been given a program that they must adhere to. But you're out on your own. Those guys have cracked the code, John. They, have, they are going to work out on right. their own away from the, their strength and conditioning coach and in sunny California. Hats off to them. Not that Oxford's a bad place to be in June and July, but having lived there for about uh, 20 years, I can tell you if given the chance to go get a little surf in California, yeah, I think I'd be all over that too. Lane Kiffin is your coach of the Mississippi Sharks, and here are his thoughts following the Grove Bowl 2021. Well, first off, I think we stayed healthy today, um, which is always a goal in a spring game. Um, you know, having a season of COVID, I uh, just wanted to try to make it as fun as it could be for players, for fans maybe that hadn't had an opportunity to come that were there today. And so it seemed like the guys had fun. You know, Matt played well um, with the top three receivers there until we pulled them. So that was good to see. And defense had some turnovers and played really well at times. So. Um, you know, it was it was a cool day. It was really cool that um, baseball had the big comeback win uh, right before we started. You know, which was which was neat that it happened to be on when we were finishing up warmups. Laying a couple of long looks at uh, Kincaid and Altmaier today. Just kind of what you see from those guys when they got the chance to play. Um, you know, they didn't have the top guys when they were in there, which obviously, as you can see, makes a difference for anybody. But um, you know, we'll watch the film on that. You know, they they made a few plays in there, and um, you know, at times um, had some plays maybe where some receivers could have made them that didn't make plays. You know, that would have helped them statistically. But um, you know, just wanted to get them. Even I think they both were both teams at times too. That was Lane Kiffin of Mississippi after his Grove Bowl, as the folks down in Oxford had their spring game and he was referenced there the baseball team with a epic comeback in game three against LSU just before the Grove Bowl happened over 33,000 people attended the LSU and Mississippi baseball series there at Swayze Field this past weekend we still have a little bit more spring football games going on across the southeast as we close up the month of April into May this coming weekend but there was a dose of east and west from the SEC here on today's Y'all Show. We'll have some more SEC spring football notes to tell you on our SEC report coming on the Thursday Y'all Show. All right, let's talk a little – let's see where we're going to go here with you, Art. Um, baseball. What baseball. happened with Major League Baseball this past weekend? Well, they're, you know, the, the, the Dodgers and the Padres are continuing their epic rivalry. Um, of course, historically, the Dodgers and the – 
the Giants were historic rivals, and that dates back to when both teams were in New York. Uh, the Dodgers, of course, were the Brooklyn Dodgers, and the New York Giants, obviously, were based in New York. The Dodgers moved to California in 1959, and the, the Giants followed soon thereafter. Uh, and their rivalry has been one of baseball's most heated rivalries over the years. However, it seems as though the Padres are now supplanting the Giants, at least right now, to being the Dodgers' uh, most heated rival. You've got guys like Trevor Bauer who on the Dodgers, a pitcher who is very, very expressive on the mound. Uh, you've got like Fernando Tatis Jr., who is very, very expressive at home plate. For instance, Trevor Bauer in spring training uh, did something that I thought was, quite frankly, showing up uh, the hitters. He wound up and pitched and struck a batter out during spring training, and he made a big point when he walked off the field of pointing to his eye, saying that, I did that with one eye closed. Hmm. Well, you know, Trevor Bauer is somewhat of a loose cannon, as you know. But what happened this weekend was Fernando Tatis Jr. hit a home run for the Padres off of Trevor Bauer, and as he was rounding the bases in his slow home run trot, he made sure that he closed one eye and pointed to one eye being closed as if to say, hey, man, I just hit a home run off you with one eye closed. Of course he didn't, but that just shows you the level of uh, the rivalry between the Giants, excuse me, the Dodgers and the Padres. I want to mention one other thing about that rivalry. Fernando Tatis Jr. hit two home runs on Friday, and the reason that's important is because his father, Fernando Tatis Sr., 22 years ago that day, became the only player in Major League history to hit two grand slams in one inning. In one inning. That seems almost impossible it, to even do. It's, it's, it's the only time it's ever happened. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, was a third baseman for the Cardinals 22 years ago and indeed hit two Grand Slam home runs in the first inning. Who were they playing? And They were playing the Dodgers. And uh, here we have Tatis Jr. marking that anniversary to, to the 22nd anniversary of two Grand Slams in one inning, and Tatis hits two home runs that day. <laughs> Is there symmetry to this universe or not, John? And also, Tyler O'Neill uh, went yard for the Cardinals twice. It seemed to be a two-home run type weekend for Major League Baseball. He has been really a puzzle for the Cardinals. He was traded for um, Marco Gonzalez, who has become a good starting left-handed pitcher, uh, for the Seattle Mariners. But O'Neill showed some promise this weekend. He hit two home runs in one game. Uh, the Braves, oh my gosh, I can't give you I, the, I can't give you a good report if you're a Braves fan. Yesterday, and I don't know if this has ever happened before, we'll have to get our crack research team to, to check this out. The Braves played a doubleheader yesterday against the Arizona Diamondbacks. And, of course, one of the new rules in baseball, I don't like it. I don't like a lot of new rules that are being used now uh, in the minor leagues. Uh, 
A lot of times Major League Baseball will try new rules in the minor leagues before they're implemented in the major leagues. But one of the rules that has carried over from last year, from the COVID year, is the fact that doubleheaders are only seven inning games this year instead of the regular nine innings. In the first game of the doubleheader against the Diamondbacks, the Braves got only one hit. One hit and one hit only. Hmm. In the nightcap, Madison Bumgarner pitched for the at for the Diamondbacks and the Braves were no hit. He pitched a no hitter. The Braves got one hit in the course of playing a double header yesterday. Now, Major League Baseball had to come out and make a statement as to whether Baumgarner's performance was going to count as a no hitter, and they said it would not, because it was in only a seven inning game, which points back to the fact that why do we have these seven-inning games if they're not real games? If a pitcher pitches a no-hitter and it's not going to be counted, then we're not playing a real game. I wish Major League Baseball would please go back, play nine innings in a doubleheader, and nine innings in every game, no matter when the game is played, where the game is played, or how many games are being played. Well, I'll tell you who's not playing seven-inning doubleheaders, the college baseball game. And we've got a look at the brand-new top 25 of college baseball. Arkansas continues to be atop the D1 baseball top 25. They're number one. Vanderbilt is at two. The Texas Longhorns find themselves at number three. The other UT, the Tennessee Vols, check in at number four this week after a series win at College Station this past weekend. Horn Frogs of TCU check in at five. Mississippi State failed in their effort to win the series at Vandy this past weekend. Lamonis' dogs are at number six in the latest poll. Dan McDonald's Louisville Cardinals are at number seven. You've got the East Carolina Pirates slipping down to number 10 in the latest D1 baseball poll. The Red Raiders of Texas Tech find themselves at number 11 in the latest college baseball poll. South Carolina was able to win one of three against Arkansas this past weekend in Columbia. They check in at 13 this week. The Florida Gators are 14. The Charlotte 49ers are at 15. Ruston's own Louisiana Tech Bulldogs check in at 16 in the latest D1 baseball poll. Mississippi slips down to number 19 after losing the series to LSU. The Knowles of Florida State are at 20 in the latest D1 baseball poll. Southern Miss to the top. The Golden Eagles are at 23 in the latest poll. And finally, out of the South, the Monarchs of Old Dominion and Conference USA are at number 25 in the latest College Baseball, D1Baseball.com poll. Your thoughts on what happened on the diamond of college baseball this weekend? Just listening to those rankings, John, it's just maybe not funny, but interesting that how these rankings run in cycles for years and years, for probably the past 15, 20 years or so, the rankings were dominated by California teams, by Cal State Fullerton and teams of that nature. Maybe colleges that weren't household names Mm -hmm. because they weren't football schools or basketball schools, but they certainly were baseball schools. But now the focus is not on California teams. As a matter of fact, I may have missed one, but I didn't hear any California teams that were ranked. Now the ranked teams seem to come from primarily the South. Yeah, I intentionally only focused on the Southern teams in that okay, poll. Okay. But I'm looking at the poll, and the first non-Southern team is Oregon. They're number nine, which is a little amazing because Oregon State right. has been the, the right. champion of college baseball a few times. Arizona is at 12. 
You've got Stanford at 18. One California team, then. And one more California team is in here, the Anteaters, UC Irvine. Those are the teams that used to dominate college baseball, the UC Irvines, the Cal State Fullertons. uh, And they will one day again. As I say, it runs in cycles. Um, Players want to go where – they can play and play on a winning team, and right now it's easier to recruit players to to the South. You know, recruiting in baseball is so, so difficult, John, because in football or in basketball, especially football, you go out as a coach, as a coaching staff, and you recruit the best players you can find. You can't do that in baseball because if you just simply go out and scout the high school ranks and sign the best players available, you don't know whether those players are going to come to play for you or whether after the major league draft they're going to sign uh, with the major leagues. Every school can name a lot of players that they had obligated, that they had committed to their school However, when the draft comes along and takes that person in the first round and maybe that person is offered $500,000 as a signing bonus, it's hard to convince that young man why he needs to come to college. So the college coaches have to run a real fine line. They want to get the best players possible. However, They want to make sure the player is not so good that he's going to be grabbed in the major league draft and and wants to play college football for a couple of years. It's really, really tough on these college baseball coaches. And the same ones, uh, if you look historically, seem to do the best job year after year. And if dealing with the major league baseball teams and the draft of that weren't hard enough, you've got a lot of times these college baseball or high school baseball players before they become baseball players outside of high school are pretty good at other sports i'm talking like tom brady yeah tom brady chose not to play baseball for a college he chose to go to play football i don't think he was on michigan's baseball team ever well you're right though for instance kyler murray who is the quarterback for the arizona cardinals now kyler murray was a first round draft pick signed with the uh, oakland athletics and got a multi-million dollar uh signing bonus Uh, of course part of that contract was that if if he played football he would have to pay that money back and he has done so but you're correct Uh, you you just you're you're looking at signing a player that's good but maybe not too good and you're looking at signing a player that you know will play baseball as opposed to football you know john in the past we did have multi many many more multi-sport athletes than we do now uh, every team in the South and every team really anywhere can look in their historical past and point to a player that played, let's say, baseball and football. Uh, but you just don't see that much anymore because every sport is a year-round sport. Every sport is so revenue-intensive that the coach of a particular sport doesn't want for instance if you're coaching a player right now in baseball at a college you want that player playing baseball you don't want him practicing spring football and if you're a football coach you don't want to see your quarterback or a wide receiver over there playing baseball right now you want him working with the football team during spring practice 
and learning what offense or defense you're going to run in the fall. Mm-hmm. So the days of the two-sport athletes are, are, are waning. Uh, I really hate to see it because I really like to see these great athletes who can excel at more than just one sport. All right, he is Art Cruz. We're not done with Art. Don't forget, we also are going to get Art's take as we march our way to Thursday in the NFL draft. We'll have a lot more NFL stuff to talk about on the Tuesday y'all show. Hang on, when we come back, we're going to talk about Dana. We're going to bash Dana and possibly Vice President Kamala Harris. We'll get Art's take on what he saw over the weekend on CNN. We are y'all. We're coming right back, y'all. Another half hour here of the show covering everything Southern. Thank you, Mr. Bo, for that great song. I've been around enough to know, and Art Cruz has been around enough to know a lot, and he is with us here as we're wrapping up this Monday Y'all Show, the show covering everything Southern, in addition to mixing in a little baseball and spring football on the boob tube. Art also checked out the interview on Sunday between CNN's Dana Bash and first lady it's not first lady first uh vice president the first female vice president kamala harris and she is somebody's first lady but yes right now we're talking about that interview with art cruz i didn't have a chance to see that so tell me what i I call her dana i think her name is technically dana dana bash's interview how that went what stood out to me john was the was the social distancing that was being exercised and it was nothing more social or socialist distancing both okay Uh, it was nothing more than virtue signaling Uh, it was done to such a degree i don't know exactly the dimensions of the room where the interview took place i would but i would say conservatively dana bash and vice president harris were 20 feet apart. Whatever room they were in, they were each tucked in the corner of that interview room. And it was laughable. The the optics of that interview were laughable because of the extremes people are going to now. And I say people, and I mean obviously people on the left, are going to now to show uh, their concern for COVID-19. However, when you see a spectacle like I saw 
on television with these people so far apart, you have to wonder whether the Democrats think they have something to gain by people by keeping people unreasonably anxious now, and afraid of Harris COVID. has been completely vaccinated. And so is Dana Bash. Okay. Uh, they've both been vaccinated. Uh, they were at least, like I said, 20 feet apart. If they're both vaccinated, John, and they're conducting an interview together, why are they that far apart? And moreover, bringing it down to the personal level, why did I get vaccinated? Why did I get vaccinated and why did anyone get vaccinated if you're still not going to be safe speaking with someone in an interview situation where you can stand? And I'm not asking them to get in each other's face, but they could have been five feet apart, six feet apart, ten feet apart. But though that they made it a huge issue, the spectacle of being so far apart. This is the vice president of the, of the United States. Whether you like it or not, and I don't like it, but whether you like it or not, she is the vice president, and she has the duty to lead this country by not only her words, but her actions. I'd like to know from her what leadership she thought she was extending at that moment by making sure that the interviewee and her, Vice President Harris, were that far apart. She's doing nothing but, quite frankly, making people scared needlessly of COVID. Is COVID real? Of course it's real. We've had hundreds of thousands of deaths in this country. But there comes a time when you're, when you're asked to exhibit leadership qualities, and one of the things she could have exhibited was that I'm vaccinated, Dana Bash is vaccinated, we're going to sit here and talk like normal human beings. But they didn't do that. The Democrats are riding this COVID train for all it's worth. They will use it to divide us as long as possible, and that was no more apparent than on uh, the interview. John, you've been to you've been to church socials, but these two people they were further apart than two kids at a at a Southern Baptist church dancing at a school social. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. I didn't think Southern Baptists could dance. Well. They can. They just can't act like they're having a good time while they're doing it. Ah, okay. But uh, this was. Politi- That's why I'm not Baptist. I got. <laughs> I got a dance. I got a. I got a boogie. Well, there was this political theater, and I know I'm going on and on about this, but this politi- the the lack of leadership we're getting right now from the top is just astounding to me. And when the vice president of our country tries to make it look as if two people who are vaccinated can't come within 20 feet of each other and still be safe. I think it really, uh, there's really some lacking in leadership. I didn't see the interview. I did see on CNN.com over the weekend, the big story was that interview and how they portrayed Kamala Harris, at least in the, in the story I was reading or skimming through how her role has been in the white house. What did you gather from the interview about how much in charge is Kamala Harris? Well, I thought she was the czar of our problem at the southern border. To my knowledge, she hasn't held a press conference and she hasn't even visited the southern border uh, in over a month. 
Has she visited it at all? Uh, to my knowledge, she hasn't been there at all. Now, okay. John, uh, if she's going to handle something else, great, handle something else. But there is a crisis at our border now uh, that absolutely, no pun intended, trumps any problem that existed prior to the election. People are now headed heading toward our border knowing that if they can just get into the United States, they are going to be caught and either be given a court date on which they're not expected to show up or not even be given a court date. It is a crisis that is getting worse every day, and it seems to me that the only thing the administration is doing is distancing itself from that problem. And now we have Kamala Harris giving an interview like this. Uh, I guess she succeeded in that interview in the sense that she's got me and other people talking about something other than what she's supposed to be tending to. We're talking about an interview rather than her failure to do anything about our crisis at the southern border. Well, we can show that she's had a failure to communicate if for no other reason on the border thing. How could you not have a press conference when you're the czar of that crisis and she hasn't been there that I'm aware of? And frankly, again, if you're looking at her as an objective observation, she is the worst person, if you're a conservative, to be leading that effort. She was all for essentially letting people cross the border and, and eliminating ICE. I mean, she was very much out in the open. How could she be a person who objectively handles this situation when she has that kind of story? And if you don't think, if you ever had a shadow of a doubt, but that the Democratic policy with reference to our border crisis is nothing more than a power grab. Now, what I mean by that specifically is allowing more people in to our country who will eventually vote Democrat, not Republican. If you ever thought that the Democrats' policy toward our border was anything more than a power grab, those doubts should have been erased this weekend because it was revealed that when a, when a lot of people come across the border, John, they're given like a care package uh, of essentials and as a humanitarian gesture. But in a lot of those care packages, guess whose book was in the sack with other essentials a book written by kamala harris mm-hmm. so come into our country but be familiar with kamala harris here's a book written by her and remember her because she was instrumental in your being allowed to come into our country uh, that is the most naked example of a power grab that i can think of uh, lately i don't blame these people for wanting to come to the to the united states we have the greatest country in the world. You can come here, go to work, work hard, and find the American dream. So it's only natural that a human being would want to come from New Mexico, Venezuela, Honduras, uh, Canada, Mexico, anywhere. not New Mexico. Oh, did I say New Mexico? <laughs> uh, New Mexico people can come here, too. Well, but it's only natural for uh, a person outside this country to want to enter this country. And we had unlimited immigration in this country, uh, in the before, uh, well, in the in the nineteenth century, 
But once this country started paying Social Security, once it started providing medical benefits, once this country became more of a socialist country, uh, it came to the point where we just couldn't afford to have unlimited immigration any longer. And that's the problem now. These people, as I said, I don't blame them for wanting to come, but we can't afford for these people to come in an unlimited number. We have to control our southern border, not only for financial reasons, but for security reasons. And right now, uh, the way the Biden administration is handling the southern border problem makes the Trump administration look like, uh, quite frankly, they did an excellent job at what they did. Developing story here on this Monday, Art Cruz Esquire, a story out saying the Supreme Court agrees to take up a major Second Amendment case. This is a case concerning a New York law that restricts an individual from carrying a concealed handgun in public. I think that's going to be taken up in the next term. Your thoughts on that decision? Well, I'd have to read It's important as an attorney, every case turns on its own facts. Uh, I need to look at that, John, because there have been a lot of Second Amendment cases that have gone to the Supreme Court, uh, both before and after the Heller decision. Before The Supreme Court does not have to accept a case that is appealed to the Supreme Court. After a case goes through the district court and the court of appeals, the losing party can file what's called a writ of certiorari to the Supreme Court. And what that does is it asks the Supreme Court to hear your case. Now, what the Supreme Court will do is only hear those cases that are unique. If they've already decided a case in the past that they feel applies to the case that is being appealed then they will not accept certiorari. In other words, they won't agree to hear that case. But this case, obviously, if they have agreed to accept and hear this case from New York, John, there must be some facts in that that are unique, and the Supreme Court must feel a need to address those facts in light of the Second Amendment. So I'm going to, uh, interestingly, I'm going to read... As much you as I got can. homework to do. I've got homework to do because I'm a Second Amendment advocate. I know I'm in the minority, uh, but every state uh, has passed one way or the other, either passed a handgun carry law or uh, or refused uh, to pass such a law. I've always felt that the Second Amendment provides the handgun carry permit no matter where you live obviously uh, i'm in the minority and if you live in a state not in the south i don't think you're a minority (laughs) well no but in in the in in the nation i would be certainly uh for someone feeling as i do that you don't need a state-issued handgun permit to carry a gun i believe the constitution covers that uh as i said minority in the nation Probably not in the South, but this this is very interesting. I, I'm very interested in Second Amendment cases, and I do have some homework tonight. Yes, sir, and I've got to go look up how to spell certiorari or whatever you certiorari. The yeah, writ of certiorari. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's basically like I said. It's it's a it's a it's a twenty dollar legal word 
for basically asking the Supreme Court, will you hear this case? And you, in your writ of certiorari, you state why you think this is a case that the Supreme Court should hear, that it's a unique case, that there is a federal question involved. Possibly there is a split in the law between the circuits. Let's say the Second Circuit and the Fifth Circuit have decided a case like this, and the the circuit courts of appeal have found differently, and there is a need for the Supreme Court to resolve that question uh, for the entirety of the country. Uh, but I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to my homework. I haven't practiced law now for a couple of years, and uh, it's got my curiosity peaked, John. Hey, our job is to get you to work, get you back, certiorarying and more. <laughs> I got to work on my Latin. Hey, we've got a little bit more of the show left here on this Monday. Hang on. We'll be right back with more coming from Washington, D.C. Oh, Lord. This is the Y'all Show. Closing up the Y'all Show here over the next couple of minutes, looking at the big stories from the weekend and more. Six people killed in Georgia on I-85 northwest of downtown Atlanta. Looks like they were part of a recovery effort, like people who were maybe on drugs or alcohol, part of a rehab, and they were killed in a wreck there on I-85. 16 people in the van total and at least six killed on Saturday. That was a really awful headline from across the region over the last few days. I'm John Rawl. I'm with Art Cruz. Art, before you headed in here today, you said you had seen something on the floor of Congress that got you a little bit upset with some congressional people speaking out. Well, really, it was on one of the Sunday chat shows, Oh, okay, uh, John. It was a couple of congresspersons were talking about, of course, we've had uh, police shootings in the news lately. And there were a couple of congresspersons on one of the Sunday chat shows saying that as a result of these police shootings in different states, what was needed as a remedy was a national standard coming from Washington that would be the minimum standard that would be required before a state could hire a police officer. In other words, right now, if you're in Jackson, Tennessee, uh, there are, there's a different standard between what Jackson, Tennessee requires and Memphis, Tennessee requires. I'm not saying Jackson's is better or worse. It's just different. And certainly what Tennessee requires of their police officers is different than what Kentucky or Mississippi or Alabama requires. These Congress people were saying that what we needed in order to remedy these police shootings is a set of standardized guidelines from Washington, an edict to all 50 states saying, this is what you must do in order to hire a policeman or a policewoman. These are the minimum standards that must be applied. John, I think that's the absolute worst idea I have heard lately, and I've heard some bad ones. This is a republic. You know, this is not, we, we don't have a king. People from Washington don't get to dictate to the states and to the local communities what they should do in hiring police personnel. Uh, 
Our Constitution gives the federal government certain rights, and a lot of people don't understand this. It, our federal government is empowered by the Constitution. All other powers are reserved to the states. Our country was not founded upon a premise where there was power in the federal government and then, okay, you states out there like Tennessee and Alabama and Mississippi, you states out there can have the rest of the power. No, it was just the opposite. The states were the driving force behind the formation of this country, and the only power the federal government has is in the Constitution. All other powers are reserved to the states, and we don't need a federal policing agency in Washington, D.C., telling people in Jackson, Mississippi, Jackson, Tennessee, Atlanta, Georgia, what they should do in hiring their policemen and policewomen. We already have policing standards. It's called the Constitution of the United States, and there is a plenty of there are plenty of remedies right now for people who, let's say that in one of these police shootings, the police officer acted improperly. We have a criminal court in each of these states, and no matter what state you're in, even if a policeman or a policewoman is acquitted, in other words, the jury finds that nothing wrong was done or certainly no criminal conduct was evidenced in the police shooting, the Justice Department can then come in and conduct a federal investigation to determine if the deceased person's civil rights were violated. We have layers and layers of investigations that occur right now. We do not, repeat, do not need a federal standard for our local police departments. Update from eastern North Carolina. The city there, Elizabeth City, North Carolina, has declared a state of emergency here today amid concerns that video showing the police killing of Andrew Brown Jr. could cause civil unrest when it's released to the public. That's a breaking story out of eastern North Carolina. we got one more segment of the Y'all Show. It's coming up next. Final segment of this Y'all Show. Real quick opportunity to let you know what's coming up on the Y'all Show. Tuesday, we got our barrister of Bodacious Barbecue, Matt Hermans, will be on with us. We also have hashtag HuddleBlue coming up on the Tuesday Y'all Show. Jonathan Lifeite will have our ACC report come Wednesday on the Y'all Show, and we'll have a quick look at what's going on around Music City on the Thursday Y'all Show. Art Cruz, good to see you. Good to talk to you. We'll be back with you again on Tuesday. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Let's go play golf right All now. All right, we'll do it. This has been Y'all. We'll see you tomorrow.